welcome to the Sports Honchos Radio Show, part of the Go Sports Media Company Radio Network. We're hoping you're here because you've just about had it with everyone and everything else, and you're looking for a pair of good-looking guys to tell it like it is, like it was, and how it should be. Or maybe you've got nothing else to do right now and you just need to waste some time. Either way, you might as well turn it up because it's time for the boys to get in your face, under your skin, over the top, and out of bounds. And now, here are your honchos, Paul Cuthbert and Robert Cuny. Uh, good to see you again, Mr. Cuny. Uh, likewise, Mr. Cuthbert. Let's go! Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! Wasn't I live, baby? Your favorite sports honchos right here. Yours truly, Mr. Carl Paul. Carl Puffer? Who the hell's that? Paul Cuthbert. Holding down the board here on Long Island, the great state of New York. Is trying to bring on your favorite honcho of mine, Mr. Robert Cuny from the great state of Maryland. Just call me Tom Rooney since you're Carl Puffbird. Hey, uh, greetings and salutations, everyone. It's been so long after our extended my name is anymore. That I forgot, almost forgot to unmute myself when Paul asked me. Paul said, hey, it was good to see you. You know, we have this ramp up, this intro where the music plays a little inside baseball for you. And I mute myself. So you don't hear the coughing, the wheezing, the gasping, the vomiting before the show. And then I almost forgot to unmute myself. I know many of you out there are like, I wish he would mute himself for the whole show. But Whoa. sorry, that would be, um, I don't believe that, that wouldn't true. go very well. I don't know. Maybe we should do it over. We should do the whole intro over. Well, we do have a th- we do have if you can find it now a bootleg pirated three second version of this show <laughs> that we uploaded before we started. Kind of a let's just make sure this stuff still works. Kind of a show. It's three oh, seconds man. of pure comedy gold, though. Oh if man! If you can find it, we'll put that on the box set in the retrospective of the Sports Honchos program, as it were. You know, I love doing this, but I hate doing this. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you know, just everybody listening. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you. I know it's been two weeks. You know, we had things to do and things not to do, yep. uh, holidays to celebrate, not celebrate. Uh, but we're right. back. But, and, you and know, I, I spend about, you know, almost 30 minutes, 40 minutes maybe down here in the studio because, you know, with the dust buster and get everything off the, the board here and stuff. and Wipe the cobwebs away. Yeah, making sure everything works and stuff and everything is. And, and, and everything was great. And I went upstairs and I made myself a cup of tea and I walked the dog. And, I'm and like, there you go. I'm and the gremlin showed up. And then me and Rob are sitting here, and of course, screens start freezing, things don't hook up, and then I accidentally pushed the live button, punched out that, that and I'm telling you that it's going to be one, it's going to be rare. It's like getting one of those rare 12-inch, you know, of your favorite uh, bands from years ago, uh, if you can find it, three it's seconds cool. live. Everyone out there under the age of 100 is like, what are you, 12 inches, what are you talking about? <laughs> So I don't mean I don't mean like that. You know what yeah. I mean. But yes, it's anybody who's been listening to the show robe, no show. See robe, show robe. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Everyone knows. Anybody know listening about. to Anyone the show, Rob it? knows. Not robe. Rob knows. They know what Although you're I'm talking about. I am. I am wearing a robe, and as always, it's loose fitting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't waited till Paul that. took a drink of tea. <laughs> yeah. I'm about to spit it all over the board. And then Holy the show would be over because shit. the board would short circuit. Oh, my Lord. I forgot to hit the record button here. Oy vey. Uh I mean, the backup record button, you know. So, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sports Honchos. Robert, 
I know nobody can. Here we are. What is it? Six years we've been doing this show now. Seventeen thousand episodes, like, and we still haven't put this up on video yet. <laughs> you look good, my brother. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. You know, after uh, sixteen years of doing the show together, I've changed slightly. <laughs> so I started the show. I had a full head of hair, a gleam in my eye, and now I'm just beaten down by life. Bald, but still handsome, but just beaten down by life. So, but I'm good. Good, you know, I, we had a, we started back to school a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're in the home stretch, a lot of testing going on, busy time around the campus, but um, also we can see, as they say, the end of the road. So it's a great song. Were, now the weather here sucks. You know, it was it, it sucks it, 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 everywhere. Weekend, I know. And now tonight there's going to be a freeze warning. I had the heat off in the house. Now it's back on again. Oy vey, I, I just sound so what old. What is now. it with these? Northeast April winters, Rob, that we're going through right now. I don't know. What's well, supposed to be April showers, bring May flowers. Thus far, it's been April, 50-mile-per-hour winds. <laughs> I actually had the wind blow a pen out from behind my ear as I was walking from one part of the school to the other. That's how strong the wind was out there. And I, like a schmuck, you know, these pens are like 25 cents a pen. I ran out into the parking lot to try to get it before it blew oh, away. I'm like, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah, what are you what doing? What are we I think doing? Once you get to forty-seven years old, you stop running after things in the parking lot, Rob. Even your own children. <laughs> yes, even your own children. <laughs> oh man! But hey, look—you know—we're uh, not complaining, folks. We're just telling you no. how it is. That's it. That's it. Maybe you know? a little complaining, but that's what you tune in for. You're that's not here right. for the sports and the entertainment. You're here for no. the complaining, no. No. the camaraderie, the ball busting. You know. So, you know, so, so how uh, was your uh, how was your vacation? You had spring break last week. I, you I don't have vacation. I don't, I don't, I'm not on vacation. The wife and the kids were on vacation. I, I wasn't was on the, vacation. You did stuff as a family, right? Uh, you know, what well, we did. I tell were... you what, this what we um, the wife last minute decided this is why we weren't on last week. Because uh, my beautiful wife, uh, she's a, a longtime fan of Billy Crystal's Mr. Saturday Night. That's still on Broadway? It's actually, uh, the sign outside, I can't speak tonight, folks. I am so sorry. The sign outside, the theater, said in previews. Now, I I, I don't know if that's right. But anyway, last Wednesday night, we went to go see Mr. Billy Crystal and Mr. Saturday Night on Broadway. And I want to tell you, it was fucking hilarious. He's great. Fantastic job. He he he! I, I I'm kind of a sucker for everything he does, even the really shitty movies, um, which the last couple were. Uh, he's still great in everything he does, and he was great hosting the Oscars, you know, pre-slap. <laughs> well, the next time you come into New York and you don't tell me that you're in town, go see it. If it's still no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you when I'm at your front door. Well, I'd like to see you. You know, hey, Paulie. It's like that Carol King song. Doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore? I'm I'm right. It sir. would be so great to see Robert Cooney at my door. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, because I feel I feel the earth move, Paul. Oh, under my what? Feet. now we're gonna do. I Cal- feel the sky. We're Cal Paul. King song puns now. A tumbling down, a tumbling down, my friend. By you the know, way, I saw late. that show on Broadway too. That was That's a great, phenomenal. beautiful. That was the name of it, right? Beautiful. Yes. Phenomenal. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I saw that here, well, not here in my kitchen, uh, at D.C. in the Candy Center, and it was outstanding. Fantastic stuff. She wrote a yep. few good songs. 
Just a few, and 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 surprisingly, uh, all of them appeared on one album. The album Tapestry from what seventy one seventy. She wrote a lot of great songs for other. No, folks. she did, her, but her own songs seem to all just materialize on one album. But there's a bunch of songs. If you name any hit from the late fifties, early sixties, you're it's a good chance, at least fifty percent chance that Carol King and David Goffin uh, wrote those. She not even be, wrote not a to be song confused for the with monkeys. David Geffen. Yeah, she even wrote a song for the monkeys. What song was that? I believe Pleasant Valley Sunday is a Carol King song. Really? Did those, those guys do anything original? No. No, that was the... <laughs> they were like the USFL of music. They were just a TV act. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Are we going to get into the USL? I can't That's speak. Probably. I'm sorry, folks. I'm giving up. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cooney will take over now for the rest of the show. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go for the next hour and a half. Um, we may touch on it, but the monkeys were just put together to be the TV version of the Beatles and lip sync to other people's songs. Although Mike Nesmith, who recently left us, uh, he wrote his own, he wrote his own songs. Then eventually they wrote their own songs and played their own instruments and sang on their records. And then nobody cared because they were off TV and they tried to be a real band and, uh, you know, they just disappeared. And they had more success as solo artists, Davy Jones and Mickey Dolenz. And There's like a great that. documentary yes. on the monkeys. Peter Tork. Yes. Have you, have you seen the ever, ever seen the documentary on the monkeys? Yeah. No. It's brilliant. It, it talks about how they concocted it, brought it up, mm-hmm. and then, you know, how successful it was. And then, like, talking all this, you know, they wanted to do their own stuff originally, you know, all the stuff, and they were just, <laughs> no, 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 no. No. But it was basically, they were like, you know, there's a, a lot of the albums years ago were recorded by studio musicians. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can watch the Motown documentaries. You can watch the this great stories about uh, the original Beach Boy stuff. A lot of the albums, you know, they had... Um, there's a, there's a name for there was a bunch of studio musicians I think out in California and stuff and they they recorded so many different albums, um, famous albums. But um, the Monkees were one of the first major you know if you fast forward to let's say like product bands or product artists today whether it was Britney Spears or NSYNC and they were the first Backstreet Boys, pretty much. Yeah, but um. So. It was a good show, man. It was lots of fun. All right. I dug it. We had a great youth, didn't we, Rob? We All did. Youths. And, and that last five or so minutes, everyone, again, under the age of, say, 75, has already uh, said, well, I'll just check out next week's show. I'm out. Carol King, The Monkees, Billy wow. Crystal. We are <laughs> Even live. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an exclusive live uh, you know, media deal with most of the senior homes across this country. Like Ingleside. Like Ingleside. Home of your Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> now that they're not now they're not in the playoffs, what else they can go back to playing shuffleboard? Mm-hmm. All right, pal. Well, let's get things going here. Uh, what episode okay. number are we up to? And uh, who wears it well? Well, what's you it called again? You know what, what it's am I time wearing? For? It's time for almost. You almost got it right. It's who wore it best. I know you're dying. To play the Rod Stewart song, but it's not called You Wear It Well. It's called Who Wore It Best, but hey. I'm trying to think of another you. song to play instead. You well, know. let me stop you from a little a little uh, quality Rod Stewart, hot Rod Stewart. Okay, um, episode 58. Uh, oh. This guy is about as close to making it to the Hall of Fame as Paul and I. Uh, he is, because now we're getting to those numbers where it's sort of hard to find people. I don't want to go all football all the time, but it's pretty much going to be football and baseball. And when we get to the high numbers, 
pretty much all football. I don't know. I think there's a lot of hockey guys you're leaving out. Oh, there'll be hockey guys later, but not a lot of hockey players wearing in the 50s. <laughs> now, we did have 55, but we passed that one already. Don't worry. I believe when we get to 66 and 77. I don't know. If, you know, I keep telling you, I don't know if we're going to make it. Well, I'm still, we, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if we're going to make it to Mario Lemieux. Definitely not, Gretzky. <laughs> Listen, whether we do this show or not, every week I'm going to do this. I'm just going to sit in my house and do this. And if anybody asks, I'll say, hey, it's the 77th show. How about a little Paul Coffee action? Or it was supposed to be our 77th show tonight. Right. right. So I, although I will, I will not, on, for what would be show 68, as a card-carrying member of the Washington Capitals Mafia, you know. I'm sorry, not not 68. Whatever number, see, I'm, I'm having a brain fart. Whatever number Sidney Crosby is, my brain just melted out of my head. He will not be uh, part of the show. You're not going to do number 87. 87, thank you. You're no, I'll do somebody else. But Sid the Kid is one of the best guys to ever lace up the skates. He's wearing, he wears the black and gold. Sorry. All right, anyway, I'm, I'm interrupting you, and you're sorry. interrupting uh, yourself, so let's move on here. Uh, uh, you know, well, it's been a couple of weeks, so you know, I'm, I'm all over the map. Uh, Jonathan Papelbon. Jonathan Ooh. Robert Papelbon. Nice. Late of the – well, not late. He's still very much with us, unlike a couple of other Hall of Famers, which we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, Papelbon, who played for the Red Sox and the Phillies and the Washington Nationals, where he ended his career. Tenth uh, all-time in saves, 368 career saves, six-time All-Star, 2007 World Series – um, and he was the 2006 runner-up to the AL Rookie of the Year. So, uh, why him? Um, not hey, Rob, because... why, why this guy pappled Papa people? Papelbon, not because he was, well, I mean, he's a World Series champion. He was a good reliever in his day. He top 10 in saves, so he's not chopped liver. But uh, for my money, he was a part of the greatest moment in Washington Nationals history. Now, before I continue, everyone knows who knows me knows that I hate uh, hate. Yes. Okay. Strongly dislike. Hate's a bad word. Strongly dislike the Washington Nationals. But you know, when it comes to a sports team, I think hate is okay. When it comes to an individual, that's when it's a bad word. That's true. I think it's so, okay in sports to say you right. hate something. Well, I hate inanimate objects like a team, so I guess that's okay. But the people, I'm sure the people on that team are fine, fine human beings. Yes. So uh, this is a game late in the season in uh, 2015 when Jonathan Papelbon, tired of the antics of the man who would be the 2015 National League MVP, Bryce Harper, did not run out a routine grounder. So, again... Uh, highlights of people pitching doesn't translate well to the spoken word medium. So here is the call of that incident where uh, Jonathan Seppelbaum became known excited. around these parts as the as the DC Strangler. Then Bryce Harper will hit it in the air to left. I'm sorry, Mr. not Frank a routine. Corner, after switching over, makes that catch. There is. Something going on in the dugout. See Papelbon saying run the ball out. And Bryce saying you got to be kidding me. And then Papelbon went right after Harper. It's getting ugly, folks. There's no other way to put it. That stuff happens throughout the course of the season, but 
with Bryce Harper evidently nose to nose with Jonathan Papelbon. That's not good. I mean, you can read his lips. He told him you got to run that ball out. And Bryce Harper said, are you kidding me? Unbelievable. So just to clarify things, he didn't say you've got to be kidding me. He said you've got to be kidding me. There Come are on, we put explicit on this show for a reason, Rob. Well, but I like to make that sound. So he said, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's he my said you got to be fucking kidding me a couple uh, times. You know, I like this. No, I'll do the sound better. Okay. Do he that. said you you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> uh, that, that's my high-quality sound effects machine right there. That's not from the roadcaster. That's from the old Dome of CUNY. A lot so, of us who live by the sea recognize that sound. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of tater tots last night, so I was making that sound myself today. Woohoo! Um. Papelbon, as soon as Harper came back into the dugout, Papelbon said, you got to run it out. Harper said, you got to be fucking kidding me. And then he went right for the throat, Papelbon. And Papelbon is a big man, bigger than Harper. And so right there on TV, he was, you know, choking him out. And the two got into it, and they had to be separated. And Bryce Harper then took off for the locker room. Um, And, you know, it was sort of a very divisive moment here in D.C. Some people who still can't stand Bryce Harper, even when he played for the Nets, we're thrilled because that was kind of the rap on Harper was early in his career. He didn't run out uh, ground balls or fly balls. It just when he realized he wasn't going to be, he was going to be out. He just sort of, you know, leisurely strolled toward base. And Pavel Bond's a go 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 sort of guy. One of those guys who probably ran out uh, to the to the mound from the dugout every time, um, like with at full speed. Everything he did was full speed. And then there were some people that thought that Papelbon was just a, was just an idiot and a thug and a bully, and that's when he got the nickname the DC Strangler. But clearly, those antics cost him his career because he never pitched again after 2015. I think that was that that was his last season, and it was with the Nats. So, but for me, as a Nats hater, God, that was great. It was just it's great to see that kind of turmoil and that kind of uh, dissension amongst the ranks. On the Nats, who were in that midst of that run, that 2012 to 2019 run, where or 2010 to 2019, where they were in the playoffs and won more games than any other team in baseball, had a little World Series, but they still had, for me, the greatness of watching two players in the dugout on the live broadcast. Was Davey Johnson managing the team Davey at that Johnson. time? Uh, that was uh, Matt Williams. Oh, okay. Uh, Davey Johnson was managing them in the early days of that that run, but then Matt Williams, former giant third baseman, the guy who was on pace to break Roger Maris's home run record when the strike of 94 hit. Uh, he was manager, and then it was Davey Martinez. Gotcha. So and Was Martinez the world championship manager of the Washington Nationals? Yes. And he, he was Joe Madden's like, right-hand man. Um, he was to Joe Madden um, what uh, Mel Stottlemyre was to Joe Torrey during the glory days. Um, what, one of the glory days for you all. And so the, the knock on Martinez when he came here, because he didn't really do much in his first two years, was you may be the guy who sits next to Joe Madden, but you're not Joe Madden. Mm. Now, of course, he's the only Nationals manager to win a World Series. You used to say that about my guy, Mr. Joe Altabelli. Oh, no, I never said that about Joe Altabelli. This is not a Joe Altabelli moment. You say that Altabelli only won the World Series because he sat next to the guy... No, previous. I said he got the Weaver threw him the keys when he retired yeah. after two and said, "Here, Similar. park this. Don't mm-hmm. don't scratch the car." And he went yeah. out and they won the World Series. How how long have the Nationals been around? Two thousand five. So this is their eighteenth season. Eighteen, and they have won 
World Series championship. No. Well, and the Washington Washington as a baseball franchise has won two. One when I was in high school in 1924, and then the other <laughs> one in 2019. Those were good times. I remember the parade. I skipped school that day to go to the parade. But technically, the, the Nationals have only been around for yes. 15 years, 18 years, right? right. Okay. Right. How long have the Baltimore Orioles been around for? Um, I know they're not. A, they're not a good team. They haven't won a championship in 39 years. I'm just saying, They've it's not a hoit, right? 1954, so 68 years. And they have one championship. No, no, they have. They have three. Are you sure? Which is, which is, you know, three more than. Uh, three more than wait for it. California Angels. Oh no, they have one. Sons of bitches. Three more than hold it. Not the Arizona Diamondbacks. Ooh. Three more than the San Diego Padres. There you go, buddy. There nice. you go. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice way to bring it back. Woo! I love it. All right, man. For all those of you out there, that was just old Paulie trying to turn some screws there into Mister Cute, and he, he handled it quite well. That's because I know I'm not one of those, you know, mouth breathing, knuckle dragging fans that says every other team sucks when your team is looking up at every other team, you know, and they're like, hey, your team sucks. Really? Well, okay. You, you've won zero games. We've won 50. Yeah, but you still suck. I'm not one of those guys. I freely admit when my teams are in the dumper, but it helps me. So it doesn't, people don't bother Unfortunately, you these, these days, these years is quite too often for you. Listen, living in Washington, D.C. I mean, I'll give you a pass on the Wizards because I know you're not really a Wizards fan. No. And I know you're not following D.C. United either. So. No. But living here it means pain and suffering. Uh-huh. But, I'm, but a, not, yeah, a, not yeah, a mess that's a when it comes state, to sports Maryland. teams. When it comes to sports teams. No, you know, the Caps are still dining out in the 2018 Stanley Cup. And they'll 32 years in the last 39 seasons, they're in the playoffs, which is quite a stretch. I mean, I realize – the futility in those playoffs is legendary, but you got to get there first. Yeah, you got to be there. Hey, nobody so gave the Detroit Red Wings be, a hard time for making it to 22 seasons in a row. They're the anchor. The Caps are the anchor of all the sports teams here. They're the ones you can depend on. I know some people say the Nats, but again, can't stand the Nats, so I don't really count them. All right, let's move on. Well, very good. That was um, Pinkle Applebaum for the episode 50. Seven? Eight. Eight, thank you. Fifty-eight. Thank you, eight. I got if, if we're still doing this for episode 59, I've already got a good one in the can, as they say. Ooh. Ooh. One very Cooney. near and dear to Mr. my heart. Cooney, your language here. And I'm sorry. I, don't, I shouldn't talk about my can like that. All right. <laughs> well, they've had a couple of weeks off, but it's time to bring the band back on, ladies and gentlemen, as we swing back into Headlines. That you do lines right here on Sports Honchos. I tell you, I've missed this little segment. I'm very excited to hear what Mr. Cuny has to tell us. And I've got my lines ready to do here. If they're out of control. <laughs> yeah. Take it away, Mr. Cuny. All right. Um, there's going to be one, ch- one lineup change, by the way, that I'll tell you about. Uh, lineup from what I sent you earlier today. But I'm sure you're well aware of the story, so we can... I might not be, because I, I, I've been down in the bunker here trying to make sure that nothing right. works, so I have no well, idea. All right, well, I'll bring up the speed if, if not. Okay, headline, cops, cat used as weapon. <laughs> I don't even like have to you. finish the headline. First of all, I cat like it because I don't like cats. In domestic battery. And, now, this is, this is a great headline. I, I'm reading this. This is a quote from this 
Quote, in a total pussy move, a Florida woman (laughs) allegedly battered her girlfriend with the couple's cat. Yes, you heard that right. Battered the woman's girlfriend with the couple's cat. Police say that Susan Freudenthal... 53 and the 44-year-old victim, and what a great mugshot, too, by the way. God, she's hot. And the 44-year-old victim were arguing Wednesday evening over, quote, fidelity issues in their shared Largo residence. During the squabble, Frudenthal swore that she was not cheating and was faithful to the victim, cops reported. At one point, the victim said, Freudenthal, it's a great name, grabbed one of the couple's pets, one of their pets, a cat. The other pet's like, thank God it wasn't us, and held it up to the victim's face. Freudenthal swore in the life of the animal that she was not cheating, a Largo Police Department officer noted. The cat, cops say, was distressed, and it scratched the victim. When questioned by police, Freudenthal admitted to holding the animal close to the victim to prove her point and swearing on the life of the animal that she was not cheating. Freudenthal was arrested for domestic battery, a misdemeanor. She was released yesterday from the county jail on her own recognizance. Upon being arrested, 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 a quote, polite and compliant Freudenthal contended that she was the true victim, according to the arrest report, which lists the weapon used in the alleged battery as feline. So, good times. Good times in Florida. We've got a Florida twofer. What a hell of a cat you. story. Love the cat story. Next, Florida man will not be winning 2022 Neighbor of the Year Award. Mm. Egad. For unknown reasons, the Florida man, 64, walked fully naked up the driveway of his next-door neighbor and proceeded to defecate atop a glass table on the victim's porch, according to police. This is Kenneth Clark Carlisle. Kenny, come on. Old Kenny, Kenny Double C, was arrested Friday afternoon for criminal mischief. (laughs) Is that what you call it, criminal mischief? (laughs) And booked into the county jail on the misdemeanor charge. Carlisle, cops say, was captured relieving himself in broad daylight. Good times. On two separate angles of the victim's home security footage, you know, that's a good ad for the uh, Waze camera and the Ring doorbell camera system. You can see people shitting. I run mine every night hoping that I'll capture something like this. When officers arrived at the Clearwater crime scene, Carlisle was spoken to through the door of his... Oh, an RV is involved. Who'd have guessed it? Through the door of his RV camper, and he was still visibly naked and highly uncooperative. Bond on the criminal mischief rap is $250, but Carlisle remains behind bars since he is already facing several criminal charges stemming from a December arrest. Carlisle was busted for drunk driving and discharging multiple firearms into a lake near his residence. According to police, Carlisle fired the guns while seated in his car. A subsequent police search recovered multiple shell casings scattered around the vehicle. So he's a pooper. He's a drunker. I got to tell you, that's that's story number two from Florida. And, you know, you listened to me and you in the beginning complaining about the weather up here in the Northeast. If that's all me and you have to complain about, I'll take it. because yeah, nobody's, uh, nobody's taking a dump on my property. No, not that I know of. Besides dogs, of course. Hey, yes, well, uh, clean up after your pets, friends. Yes. Good advice. All right. Um, the third story is uh, we really should take a swing at this pinata. The whole Elon Musk purchase of Twitter. Yeah, let's do it. 43 buh, buh. Excuse me, I choked to death on that wad of cash. $43 billion to buy Twitter, which I believe turns zero profit. But that's not why Musk, who's certifiably insane, is doing this. He's buying Twitter for one of the reasons to return free speech back to social media. Um, I, for one, was hoping he would buy it and then just shut the whole thing down. (laughs) 
I just say we're, we're done with this Twitter nonsense. Well, there's but a great think, meme that's going out, and you know a lot of people are doing this, pretending it's from his account. He goes, "Hey, I just, I just bought Twitter. I'm gonna buy Facebook next. Everybody, go outside and get a life." That would be great uh, if he can buy a Twitter for forty three billion and still have you know a hundred or so or two. Well, you saw, did you see my Twitter what? posts? He just, just outbid me. No, you you were at forty two point nine nine. I almost had it. <laughs> Couple bucks. You're like, I got nothing. I looked under the sofa, under the car seat. Check out I my Twitter nothing. feed now. You know what I'm focusing on, folks. If you want to find out, because yeah. Musk got Twitter and I have to move on to other things. So there's a house. There's an eight million dollar house in L.A. that I'm looking at right now. No, that's that's nothing. That's chump change compared to the cost for Twitter. I mean, you uh, know, I got to start somewhere after being, you know, losing out on Twitter, which actually makes no money. Right. But I think if you're going to return free speech to Twitter, the only way you can do that is to actually just shut it down. Because once you keep it going, no matter who's running it, it's just a cesspool of negativity. And and there's a mob out there of people waiting to pounce on any misstep, a misstep that Without social media, and I, you know, social media is fine, whatever. This is not an anti-internet, anti-social media rant, but Twitter really is the worst. The Twitter mob gets a hold of something and they don't let go until careers and lives. But doesn't and that really all depend on the topic? I mean, I've, I've had a pretty healthy Twitter experience, you know. I mean, and mostly because of the unfollow and block button and, you know, you can, you can eliminate. It's the same thing for... For Facebook. Now, I use Facebook primarily for my marketing. I have to as far as my entertainment business because that's where everybody is. And that's how you, if you're in the business selling tickets, you got to be there. But again, on the Facebook, I've cleaned up my timeline because I, I can hide anybody that I don't want to see any feeds. And as far as somebody making a comment on your timeline, you know, I don't, I don't have any fear of Elon Musk taking over Twitter. I really don't. I think every, I, I just think everybody just so fucking what, you know, and if he does and, you know, if, if this person gets to get back on there, I think certain things, obviously, I don't think Musk is just going to let it become more of a cesspool than it already is. No, I, I think it's. And I be- personally don't think the guy's going to run it. You know, he's not going to run no, it. He's just going to hand it over to somebody and say, you deal with it. But exactly. it's going to I just hope it, it brings back people. Not that I support these opinions, but you know what I do support? I support the right of people to have opinions that go against the the, the prevailing narrative. That's still going on out there. I think the only thing but like not you, as much as it should. It just it can't be used to incite violence. It can't be used oh. to uh, uh, you know degrade certain any any kind of person. You know what I'm saying? I think that's basically where it has to get right. to. I but think, if you it, it, not to get on the third rail already but if you're someone who doesn't believe in getting vaccinated or you don't believe in in any of the safety measures since covid began a couple years ago what's covid yeah we still we still doing that ask Kyrie Irving um (laughs) you should be allowed to say that as long as you're not spreading lies about somebody you know injuring their reputation if you want to be loud wrong on twitter about something if you want to say i don't care what people say you know vaccines are for suckers fine you know people are smart enough to look at what somebody says or hear what somebody says read what they wrote and go hmm, this person's kooky this person's cuckoo for cocoa puffs well it's primarily the reason most of society is still standing together i mean you know it's not zombie land yet 
No, but it, we're getting there. On social media, at least on Twitter. Not so much on Instagram, not so much on Facebook. Well, uh, this is what I'll say. There's, since a certain administration took over, there's, there's certain type of events that have no longer happened since there hasn't been any major marches or protests in the streets in almost two, two years, two and a half years. Um, rallies, quote-unquote rallies, are very few and far between, and the attendance to these things are low. So, you know, there was a lot of that chaos was going on, but like I said, I, I, don't, I don't, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a wuss bag saying, you know, being afraid of this or praying for that. I am all for all sides being able to go at it or whatever. You know, I myself, I just, I don't like extremism on any side. Too far this way, too far that way. But I I think you, I think people just have to kind of step back and honestly look at, there has been a different temperature in the country, obviously. It's it's still there. There's still a lot of angry people on both sides. I hate saying that because somebody else used to say on both sides. But the 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 fervor, the the heat, the anger, the rage. It's it's not it's it doesn't have a torchbearer right now, or it doesn't have enough prominent torchbearers to to create chaos. Right, but, but the problem is the, the I won't say the majority. There's enough people carrying the pitchforks and torches on Twitter that a leader just hasn't emerged. But that that fervor is out there. You know, in in my classes, my U.S. history class, we once in a while will have what I call a Twitter moment, and I'll, I'll ask them. I'll say this event that we're talking about. What do you think would have been the result if this was today and Twitter was able to? jump all over it. Like the most recent one, we're we're right now we're in the midst of talking about the Vietnam War. Oh boy. And we're talking we just talked earlier this week about Cali and the My Lai massacre. Mhm. Uh, and uh, and certainly not there's no real good side of it. I, there's no, you know, Cali did nothing wrong argument. I just said, well, what do you think would have happened if the Vietnam War was not covered on the nightly news but was covered in every step of the way like what's happening in Russia for instance? Uh, would America have waited for a trial? Would America have waited for the military to do its own investigation? You know, how would this, how would this have played, you know, today? And, you know, you get answers from all over the map. So I just tell them it's, it's hard for them to imagine a time where, and this is the value of Twitter, which is where I'm going with this. It's hard for them to imagine a time where you had to wait to find out information and, your opinions were made by, were made, were shaped, and were molded. At least they helped mold those opinions by a few people. Uh, generally, objective, sometimes not, but by a few people as opposed to you know everybody who has a keyboard and a phone. Yeah, you know. So and oh, I said man, some man. things that that were swept under the rug of history that are really bad but nobody really thinks about are because the news cycle traveled much slower and the fire, the flames are not fanned as much as they are now. But again, it's also, it's all on certain things too. There's a, like a positive negative magnet here where they can't, they can't connect to each other here too because you, I mean, can you imagine the Vietnam War and like, because you, you can, you can basically go online right now and you can follow 
you know, ground troops on the ground right now. You can you yep. can you can actually be right in there, go down the street and see the carnage, and see what's going on. Um, you know, at a level that's crazy, which was you know even back in the Chechen War too with YouTube and everything else, it was just some horrible stuff. I mean, if if you want to go looking for it, you can find it. Well, you and I grew up watching uh, what was happening in the Persian Gulf back in January of ninety one. Well, what I was, when I'm listening to you there and, and listening to you talk about it, when you think about the Vietnam War back then, it was only, you know, four or five news channels, right? And then you had... There were limit- three. Yeah. ABC, CBS, NBC. Well, that there was you it. go, right? And then you had, you know, two or three newspapers outside of the local papers and everything else. And, you know, any 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 of the, like, uh, you know, the carpet bombing that you see from the U.S. Air Force now and the napalm attacks and stuff, those are all military footage. And that was just released after, way yeah. after the fact. But if, if anybody had seen that stuff going on. But, see, the United States as a country has been kind of shielded from that stuff. Uh, you know, you, I, you, your headline here in terms of this discussion today was hypocrisy, too. I mean, the, you know, this has been going on in Syria for years. The devastation, a culture, a people being wiped off. Uh, uh, basically a war games ground for, for Russia even back then and, and the Assad regime and everything else. And the world really didn't get up in arms like it did, like it's doing it for now for Ukraine. So there's some hypocrisy there, whether it's the fact that Ukrainians are white people generally, and, you know, you have Middle Eastern people in Syria. I mean, what happened in Syria, what happens on a daily basis in Africa is just, forget about it. And I don't want to send off a landmine here and go crazy, no pun intended. But um, I get what you're saying. I think just to circle back real quick on the Elon Musk and Twitter and everything else. And I think in terms of the stability of, say, our country and most modern democratic countries and everything else, because you just have to look at China. You just have to look at North Korea. You just have to look at some, like Saudi Arabia and some of these other uh, and Russia, uh, these cultures, these countries that basically have control over everything. And we here are, have access to everything. Um, but we're also basically, you know, living free and easy over here. And, you know, I I get upset at people complaining and complaining about stuff. And, you know, that's great. You're flying flags and everything else and stuff. But, you know, you're not really doing anything. Yeah, don't get me started on on token gestures of support. Look, before we we circle back. Never saw any Syrian flags or never saw any Syrian bumper stickers on cars. Before we, we get out of the seriousness of purpose that we always seem to devolve into or evolve into depending on your point of view uh just a quick shout out to my students um who managed to make the connection between not to support enemy combatants but made the connection between the people fighting in the vietnam war both the north vietnamese and the south vietnamese armies back when it was two countries and what was happening and the reason why the ukrainians are not just putting up a fight but doing quite well against a bigger more forceful enemy um in russia and that is when the united states enters the vietnam war what are we fighting for in the united states so we don't so communism doesn't spread i mean people can't who can't find vietnam on a map really can't get their arms around fighting many years into the cold war still continuing to put up a fight against the spread of communism when most people in the united states could care less as long as it doesn't get to the united states but the vietnamese were all fighting for freedom (laughs) And to not be under the colonial yoke of Japan or France or whoever the colonial power of the day was, um, and that's the same thing here. Is you know Russian people or 
I don't know if they can get their arms around Putin's desire to bring back the Cold War and bring back the Soviet Union and the good old days of the, you know, the late 80s, late 70s and early 80s. And the Ukrainians are, you know, fighting for their freedom. And when you fight for freedom, it's a much more personal and involved struggle. And that's why the United States couldn't crack through uh, the Vietnamese because they'll fight to the last man standing. And that's why Russia thought this would be, you know, they'd be done in an hour and a half. And, and back then, oh. there's a couple of different things, too. I mean, geez, I'll tell you what, man. Let's forget about sports. Let's just keep talking about Vietnam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, I think, like, um, the other thing I want to say about we're a very protected country. We're blessed that we have two oceans in between us and the rest of the world. Uh, Canada is our neighbors to the north, and then you have South America and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, back then in Vietnam, I mean, you know, there was a draft and our, our boys and stuff were coming back in body bags, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And when you're, and I think you bring up a great point. Like I said, where where Ukraine is is fighting to save their country, and we lost a generation uh, fighting over pieces of land, hills, Hill Fifty Seven, Hill Twenty Twenty. You know that's what it's all about. I mean, I'm a Vietnam to me, and like I said, I'm 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 a kid. We talked about this too. We're two. Dumb white guys who grew up in the 80s and didn't suffer or have to do anything. We didn't have to volunteer for anything. We didn't. We just listened to yacht rock radio and heavy metal and rock and roll in the 80s. And we had MTV and 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 we were blessed and, and lucky to to get through that. As far as our, ourselves, I mean, and the generation before us in the 60s and 70s, they all fought in wars. The 40s, it goes on and on and on. And even our kids, all everybody after 9/11, all the 18 to 25 year olds that that volunteered and joined the United States military to go fight in Afghanistan and Iraq. And we're, you know, our generation, me and Rob's, I mean, we were just lucky to kind of get out of it. And, and you know, yeah. it's fascinating. Like I said, you get to, to sit with these kids and teach these kids history and, and get their take on it now. And it is it there. There's no draft here in the United States. There's no, you know, and it'll never happen again unless God forbid we're ever well, invaded, but that's not going to happen. It almost happened after September 11th. We came very close, but it was avoided. Well, look, folks, we're sorry to go down this road. Hey, but at least Paul and I aren't yelling at each other. We're in agreement for a change when we get to these serious topics. So, you know, we'll What we'll were we talking about now. anyway? Elon Musk? Yeah, we'll pivot now back to He better uh, put an edit button in there. I mean, if you, if you go Twitter yes. blue, you can do your undos and stuff, but, you know, hopefully brings the tweet, the uh, edit tweet button in there. Now, are you in favor of Seeing, because I heard, I heard somebody talking about this today. In fact, the whole edit button thing. Are you in favor of being able to archive the unedited previous versions? Um, people I can know. access and see, you know, so you can't go back and edit your tweets to kind of say, "Well, no, I never said that." No, I don't think you should be able to edit archive stuff. I mean, you know, no, I mean, like I said, you know, see, a guy like me, I don't, I don't give a shit because I'm not gonna. Nor do I. Say anything stupid. I would only edit it for you know spelling errors or where I you know or print our grammatical errors. I would not the content of it. But I'm gonna tell you one thing, man. I quit drinking seven years ago, and I picked a pretty good time to quit drinking because there's a lot of people who do stupid things on Facebook and Twitter and just in texting in terms of that stuff. And man, nope. I don't know. Anyway, right. well. I hope everyone's now fully gotten through all of the lines they were supposed to do during the headline section. We certainly went down a really serious road, but hey, sometimes I think anybody listening to Honchos know that every now and again, me and Mister Cooney will steer left or right. But it mean, was entertaining. 
That's the key. I don't know. Again, I have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. No. But I do know what we're going to talk about now. Well, let me let me just cleanse everybody's palate. You ready? Oh. Okay. Now we can. Now we can start. All right. <clears throat> uh, Rob, it's time to bring yes. our. Uh, oh no. Oh no! What? Oh no! We have a we have a problem, Houston. What problem is that? Wow. I I don't have the intro for this segment. <laughs> yep. It's it didn't load. See, Gremlins, buddy. Hold on a second. Hold no, on. that's okay. It, no, there's wait. not much to talk about. No, wait a second. Hold on a second. Wait. Hold on a second. We got we got to try and do something here, folks. Hold on. Hold the phone, please. Your call is very important. In the meantime. All right, let's see if this works, ladies and gentlemen. We'll give this a shot. There we go. Uh, Let's try this one. Nope, that's not it. I want to do this. Hang on. Almost there. Hold on. In the meantime, Seven, please enjoy six. this classic clip from uh, Washington Redskins history. You know, they all get involved and they all got their gear already. And so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow. It's good to know your own team colors when you're named head coach. So unfortunately... Two weeks, uh, it didn't line up for our NFL professional analysts to do their usual intro here on the uh, NFL segment for Sports Hanchos. So we're going to have to go with this uh, very uh, cinematic. Yeah. Woo-hoo-hoo! Time to do some NFL talk here on the Sports Hanchos, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're digging this. Oh, yeah. Just picture it. Coming down the field. All right, Rob. Take it away. Let's talk some football. So are, are our friends fired forever, or can we get them back again one day? Oh, they're coming back. Okay, good. This is just an, um, an unfortunate glitch. You know, glitch in the need, matrix. Yeah, we need them year-round. Look, there's not much to talk about with the NFL today. The The NFL draft is Thursday, which, which is tomorrow. And um, for NFL nerds like El Baldo here, it's like Christmas in April. Really? I will... I really don't care about any other sports draft other than, you know, reading about it the next day or if there's a hot prospect that I one of my local teams uh, has drafted. I mean, I am, of course, following the rebuilding of the Orioles farm system. But, you know, I don't sit in front of the TV and watch the baseball draft, the NBA draft. But there's something about the NFL draft where hope springs eternal for every team because a lot of these players in the first couple rounds will make immediate impacts. And, yes, I will. And I will tweet. I promise I will speak into Twitter. Tweet out a picture where I bust out my 1980s vintage satin starter jacket, the burgundy and gold starter jacket with the big old classic Redskins logo on it. Nice. And I sit down in front of the tube and I'll watch. I'll watch the first round. Then I'll, and I'll Friday night with the second and third rounds, I'll watch as much as I can until I'm required to actually go out and have a life. But Thursday night, I'll be an inch from the television watching. Um, I just love it. I, I don't know why. Uh, it, it's totally ridiculous. But, you know, so are sports. So I guess it's okay. But I guess what, what amuses me every year is we have the scouting combine like a month or so before in Indianapolis. 
And people fall in love with players who can run in a straight line really fast or who can throw passes with nobody defending them. And can I jump can't run in a straight line very fast. Yeah, but, but the experts, the draft is spurring this whole cottage industry of draft experts and draft mock drafters and so on. A lot of Mel Kuypers and Todd McShays. But people just lose their minds over players as though what they see in essentially practice with no real obstacles in their way, much more important than what we watch on film, you know, 11 games a year, 12, 13, depending on how many games and if there's a postseason. They don't, they say, well, the game tape is fine, you know, whatever. But look how fast they run. Look how much they bench press. Look how high they can do the vertical jump, their cone drill time. The thing that's really important to me, I don't care about the physical stuff. I can see that when you're actually playing. There's a difference between straight line speed and game speed. What I want to know, I want to find out who you are. The interview part, not this stupid Wonderlick test. I don't even know if they still give that test anymore. Wonder what? The Wonderlick test, this personality test for Wonderlick? Yes, that's what's called the Wonderlick. Sounds you know, a little uh, pornographic there. Well, you think that's pornographic. There is a psych, uh, psychological test. I can speak. A psychological test, a personality test called, wait for it, the Woodcock-Johnson test. All yes. right. Okay. All right. So All right. a lot more. The Wonder Lick, the Woodcock-Johnson's great. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, I, I want to interview these guys and, and find out, if I can, what kind of potential leadership there is, the maturity level, and... And this is something I've been hearing a lot the last few years, and it's, it's starting to finally make sense to me. And people say, I want to know if these players really love football. And, and for years I thought, well, they're playing. What does that mean? And what it means is there are lots of guys, not lots of guys, there are guys out there who play football and, and do that the same way that I do my job. I go to work, and it's my job, and I, I, mean, I care about it deeply, and I'm committed to it, but it's I'm not... I'm concerned with what happens in the classroom, you know, I don't, so I do, I love my job, but it doesn't really consume every second of my day or my life. And with football, it's, are you playing and you're more concerned about the off the field stuff, endorsements and media deals and so on. Is it, are you playing the game as a stepping stone to off the field stuff? Or are you playing the game because you love the game? Not that you'd play for free, but you, your first interest is football, and all the other stuff is secondary. So that's the kind of thing I want to know. I don't care that you can you know, run a 40 in under 4 or 5. Who cares? You're running in a straight line, in shorts and a T-shirt. Yeah, but it's a guy after a guy after a guy after a guy, right? Yeah, it's an assembly line of people just running down the field. So I, and, I think, again, it's speed. They, they talk about this a lot. I mean, nobody wants to sit and watch, you know, Cal from Alabama talk about I love football because no, no, it's really which, fun. It, and then the next guy comes in. What? No, no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't televise it. I mean, the combine is fine; they can get their TV stuff in. But I'm saying, if you're really analyzing players, maybe the people that do this for a living that actually pick the players care about this stuff more. But people on on the TV, they just talk about the measurables and get all lathered up about players as though their entire career, their playing career, just poof. Disappeared. Who cares if they how they look in game form? This guy, for instance, there's a guy that the Wolfed Skins may draft tomorrow night named Kyle Hamilton, safety from Notre Dame. 
all the talk about all they all people have been talking about as well. He ran a, a, a four five nine, and then he ran a four seven at the combine his pro day, and that's kind of slow for a safety. And yet, at the same token, they're talking about well, when you watch him in in game film, his speed doesn't matter because he has instincts. And he knows where the receivers are going to be before they get there, and he has closing speed. So who cares what he runs in a straight line? Yes. All right, Mr. Kearney, I have my hand up. I know yes. we're on radio, so a lot of people see that. Um, it's Mr. Cuthbert. Love this conversation, so I'm throwing this in there. How long has the Combine been a part of the league, number one? And, and how, how long do you remember back when they started televising the Combine? Um, the Combine's been around for, uh, forever. Um, but I, I think at least a decade, maybe a little less, that I remember it being on so TV. They've turned, they've turned the Combine. It's, it's full an event. Of, it's yeah, but it's and it's full of advertisements, right? And it's full of hype, and it's full of, and you know, shit. <laughs> well, look, the NFL is, is one of the best at delivering shit and mediocrity. <laughs> you know, yes, we know. No, no, no. <laughs> but like anything, it's this is part of the money machine, man. Now i I don't get the hype for the NFL draft, but I respect it. As far as diehards and the fans and all that stuff, and it's super, it's awesome. Again, it's a big, and the NFL has has made the NFL draft this huge TV spectacle, right? And now it's combined with online and social media, and now of course it's 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 mixed into gambling. Now, who's going to get drafted? This and that. Right. The combine has been cultivated over the now. I'm think I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, yeah, you know what. I, I now I remember about hearing about the combine, and then you know you, you'll see highlights splashed across, you know ESPN and all that stuff. It's become this hype machine, and it's just another way to bring the NFL fans in to help, obviously the NFL and you know the networks make money. Right, and and, and the combine itself is important. And the reason uh, I'm saying yeah, and the reason I'm saying that is that's why it's those they've they've figured this out the networks. And the NFL, right? What are the key words? What are the big things? What can we get people to tune in? And it's those little things like, oh, he ran this and this, and he was able to wait, you know, because it's 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 the machoism of the whole damn thing. It's the super strength. It's that. It's this and that, and it's it's part of a product. As far as as far as the the uh, what's shown on TV and the hype, you know. Yeah. I, again, I'm I'm all in favor of it. It's important. You you do need to know the measurables, but the stock that people put into it versus what they've done in their career. I mean, I, I was just reminded about a guy named Mike Mamula from Boston College, who was you know a pretty good linebacker in college, but he was had a tremendous combine workout. Fast, strong, jump out of the out of the building, all of that, and he was picked number seven. He wasn't projected to be a first runner. Pick number seven by, and this makes me happy because it's the team I hate the most, the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, his career is, let's just say, less than stellar. There are no statues to Mike Mamula anywhere uh, in front of the link where they play. And by the way, speaking of the draft, the best part watching the draft for me used to be when they had it at Radio City. And they had all the Jet and Giant fans, and no matter who the Jets or the Giants picked, just the lusty booing was fantastic. The Giant and Jet fans were more entertaining than anything that was happening on the stage. Now they're moving it all around the country, and it's 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 become a gigantic 
spectacle, you know, hundreds. Yeah, because they move it around country to country so they can make money in those cities. Well, no, yeah, and that's fine. I, I get all that. It's just yeah. I kind of miss when it was that that um, much more that cozy or more in- intimate. I'll put that in quotes. Setting at Radio City with a you know a bunch of yeah. liquored up giant and jet fans booing. I mean, they could have. <laughs> they probably booed Lawrence Taylor when he was picked. <laughs> Because that's just what they do. They probably said, hey, you guys, you Jet and Giant fans, it doesn't matter. Just boo. Boo. Can I ask ask another question? Now, now I'm obviously familiar with the NHL draft. Mm -hmm. And the draft itself, too, over the years, I mean, when it happens for the NHL, same thing, summertime, usually after the playoffs in between, blah, blah, free agency, all that other crap. Now, obviously, the the Rangers, you know, my team, obviously, the last couple of years have been involved with that, first and second picks over the last couple of years. You know, I got the draft line and everything else. And, and for the most part, you're just tuning in to see, you know, who your team is going to get picked, which all of us do. But in the NHL, like I said, it's – it's I, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want to ask you because obviously on the NHL draft, and even if you look at a baseball draft, I mean, geez, the baseball – I've never watched or seen a baseball no. draft. I don't even think – yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. I, but I know, there's, I nine, there's, it. there's nine positions, right, mm-hmm. basically, and then you got your pitchers and stuff. But in, in hockey, it's really six positions. So for the NFL, you've got two sides of the ball here. I I I wonder, like, I really haven't tuned into an NFL draft. But when you talk about this kid you were just talking about, and then you know he's picked seventh, you know, where I think it's it's got to be a lot harder for NFL teams to to pick that first, depending on where you are in the draft, right, and what right. your need is. And obviously, it's it's still obviously the the high quarterback is what everybody for me the average Joe that's what I hear uh, you know who's going to be the top quarterback that gets drafted and so on and so forth. But I'd have to say the NFL draft compared to say other sports, even the NBA too, you got five guys on the court there too. Right. NFL is a different beast because you have a lot more positions and players on the field that you have to pick. And the argument is is year after year the annual argument is do you take the best player available or do you draft for need because in in a tough, violent sport like football, just like a sport like hockey, it's important that he, 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 players will get injured, get injured in a moment's notice, and you have yeah. to have depth. Team without depth goes nowhere. I don't care who your quarterback is. You're obviously not going to get a – whoever your starting quarterback is, they're harder to replace, but you can replace the other guys on the field, maybe not as good, but at least enough to get you from point A to point B. So do you draft – you know, if you've got – six linebackers on your team, but the best player out there is a linebacker. Do you take that person because they're the best player? Or do you draft for need and different teams have different philosophies? I think with quarterback, like you said, every team has stars in their eyes, unless you're, you know, green Bay or Kansas city or Tampa Bay, um, Baltimore, you're pretty Buffalo. You're pretty good. San Diego, sorry, Los Angeles, uh, for a decade, but everyone else is like, Ooh, we have a quarterback. He's pretty, pretty good, but this guy could be the next, you know, fill in the blank. But after quarterback, then it really is, you know, pretty good at this position. But God, that guy's the best player available. What do we do? Yeah. Um, and because, as you said, there are so many positions available, um, you can either go for best player available, or if you just say, look, I'm going to use the draft to restock the cupboard. And get all young guys, and with the salary cap the way it is, you also have to make take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. How much is this team going to cost me to keep it together? The proactive teams draft well and and 
you know, with the later rounds fill in gaps here and there, and they're, they develop them. And when their starters leave by a free agency or retirement, they got guys to back them up. So it's, it's, that's part of the intrigue. You know, you've got 22 positions to fill and only seven rounds of the draft. So, you know, draft wisely, which some teams don't really, that's one thing that all teams should do draft wisely. Some teams don't really follow that mantra. But whatever it is, it, it makes for great – the after-draft discussion is always good. Um, and then, you know, looking backwards, you should never look backwards. The most depressing thing you can do in football is look back at your previous drafts and say, hey, we could have had this guy and that guy. And it's it's a crapshoot for the most part. Not a lot of teams pass up on a surefire thing. It's easy to go back and say, look what the player – look what this guy turned out to be. We could have had him. It's easy to do in hindsight, and it's also very depressing. So don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, and I will tell you, like I said, but I think going back to the beginning of you as far as bringing up the NFL draft and watching it and everything else, I mean, I I don't disrespect it because for for the diehards, I'd say it's probably a lot of fun there in terms of getting in there and seeing what's going on. Yeah. You know, I'd I like mean, to go to a draft. I've never been. I, if it ever comes, I back, wouldn't go that far. I don't, I don't no, I, go, I don't, don't want to go. But if it ever comes back to this side of this the country, I'd like to go. Well, just, let's go. Just let's, for let's the get experience. Tickets. Let's get tickets. Just yeah. for the experience. I tell you what, if it comes back to Radio City, I'll get your chair. I don't think those days are happening. But I'm all, we might come back to New York City, but not to Radio City. Why not? Because they like to do it outside now. Like the outdoor oh, venue. Well, talk to me about that. When did that happen? Is uh, that is that is that true now? They do it outside. That's why they they have it a little later in the year, but they try to because they can get as many people as possible. Like that big overhead shot of thousands of people mobbing. All right, the, so the draft where did they location. do it last year? Where did they do it last? Cleveland. It's cold in Cleveland this time of the year. And it's Vegas this year. Where are they doing it in stadiums? They did it in. Uh, you know what? Now I have to look it up. Hold on, right. ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Rob Cuny looks up where the NFL draft was. This diehard NFL fan who watches it every year, who does know, not know, know where it was last year. I know. Look, it used to be Radio oh, City Music all every year. Now they move it around like a caravan. Um, okay. Look at this. The internet, always open. 24 <laughs> hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, at least until Elon buys it. Right. Um, okay, so... Uh, Dallas, Chicago, Philadelphia. Yeah, but where? Uh, like where? They didn't have a Texas. They didn't have the football the stadium. stadium. No, they had it at Jerry World when Dallas hosted it. Really? And in Philadelphia, it was probably right outside the stadium again. Um, so. All right. That's. And I can tell you, since nobody asked. Um, so I was right. It was Cleveland last year. Uh, Kansas City next year. Uh, and it was it's Vegas this year. So, and I believe Vegas, one year it was baby in, to Vegas. One year. Oh, look at this. So it was at um, yeah, it was Radio City until 2014, and then Chicago for two years at uh, Grant Park, okay, and then Philadelphia, AT&T Stadium in Dallas. It was in Nashville and down. All right, nobody cares down. anymore. Oh, they so just wanted okay. to know where it was so, last year. Okay, point is, how it was outside. They, they're doing it outside. They're not going to have it inside a, a smallish venue. No, here's my next question. 10,000, yeah. 15, 20,000 people with these things, what? A, a lot. 
uh, thousands. I mean, it, it, it's a huge crowd. I'm probably not a hundred thousand. We're not talking a hundred thousand strong, but a lot. You know, they could probably fill a stadium if they really wanted to, if they wanted to sell all the seats. And it's the NFL, so if they can squeeze another nickel out of you, they'll figure it out. The NFL is good at, buddy. They are. They not used to have it one so year. Not so much they product it, on the field, but they had it at the Javits Center one year. Those were the days when they had them inside in a small little room. Now those days are are over. All right, pal. While we're on the NFL here, um, mm. should we talk about the USFL that is underway here? I, I've tried to watch, and it, although it is football, it, it's it's like the 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 residue. <laughs> Let me not use that metaphor. It's um, <laughs> it's okay, buddy. It, watching watching. Okay, so if the NFL is a nice, hot, strong cup of coffee, the USFL is like if you get to the bottom of the cup and you see like liquid and some grounds left in the bottom there, it's still kind of coffee, a little chewier, a little harder to swallow. <laughs> But it still has that essence of coffee in it. That's kind of what the USFL is. So it's fun for a few minutes. It's guys in helmets tackling. They're playing football. The uniforms in front of 13, are kind of nice. But, people. but it, it, the reason I made the monkeys reference earlier is it's a TV product. That's all they care about. They care about TV. They care about uh, follows on Instagram. So I know you Twitter. came prepared for this question today. Okay. Since when? What's what's the ratings been like? Um, not great, but still as good, if not challenging, um, for instance, NBA playoff games. But again, they, what I just saw that they've reached like a million followers among their social media platforms, the USFL social media platforms, which is what they, they, that's why they're playing in Birmingham. They don't care about who comes to the games, which are you, by the way, you buy a ticket to one game, you can stay for the double header, which is great, I guess. They care about social media presence, TV network coverage. That, that's what they're looking for. And look, this league is not going to last because none of these leagues last, and here's why. Why did the USFL the first time succeed? Why did the AFL succeed besides where they put the teams? Because both of those leagues, the USFL the first time and the AFL in the 60s, they had big financial backing, and they went after the players that I'll be we'll be talking about. Well, I'll be talking about tomorrow night in the draft. Instead of the NFL competing for them, the AFL and the USFL would find the biggest players in college. Like the USFL in back to back years signed Heisman Trophy winner Doug Flutie, and they signed Herschel Walker. So it'd be Herschel Walker then Doug Flutie. They got so, the two biggest players in college. Are there any they to do so? Are any of these players like old? NFL players are these guys that are looking to maybe possibly these get picked guys up. That, these are guys that it, it, that are some are known from their college days. There are some players that were backups in the NFL. But if you really want a, a, a competing league to succeed, you got to spend a lot of money and you got to get the players that people know. That's just that's the only way that's going to succeed. It's it's nice to watch football, but the novelty wears off because. For the most part, unless you're a diehard fan of the college team they came from or the pro team they came from, you have no investment in these guys. But let's take Bryce Young, quarterback from Alabama, who might be the number one pick in the draft next year. If the USFL were to sign him, you know, people who follow college football, not just Alabama fans, people that follow college football know of him. They, they know what a great player he is. And if he goes to the USFL, they'll start watching the USFL. Same thing with Trevor Lawrence. You know, last year, yeah, it's it's that's the difference. But if you got to go by a bunch of people who were cut in the preseason by NFL teams, 
that you have no, again, unless you're a hardcore fan of the college or the pro team from which they were cut, you've got no investment in these teams. Your investment is, I have nothing else to watch on a Sunday afternoon. I'm not interested in golf. The NBA playoffs aren't doing it for me. Hey, there's football on. And then, you know, two minutes later, you're like flipping the channel, see what movie is on TNT or AMC. So these spring leagues, they can have as many as they want. Now, the one that the XFL is coming back with Dwayne Johnson running the show. He's If he can put together a big pile of cash and woo some of the players away from either the NFL or the stars in college are about to be drafted, maybe it has a chance. But otherwise, you know, it's a diversion. But yeah, I just don't understand. Challenge. I mean, you have college football and you have the NFL, two of the greatest leagues in the world, and that's enough. And I mean, I mean, even high school, high school football is better than yeah, this, this shit is. I'm right? good with that. So, uh, I mean, you have this USFL. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that. They don't need another. I don't need another league. No, I mean, I uh, now the uh, the Arena League is now called the National Arena League. There's six teams in it. Um, Albany, Carolina, Columbus, Jacksonville. Uh, Orlando and San Antonio. I saw that's, a couple of former NFL Miami. players playing. That's it. Marzell. Marzell. What's the kid that used to play in Cleveland or something like that? What was his name? Johnny Manziel. Yeah, I think he's playing in the Arena League. But, but anyway, that's, that's, um, well, that's indoor football. That's a whole different animal. That's that's a niche sport. But they're not trying to compete with anybody. They understand their limitations. You know, they are what they are. It's like when we had the old indoor soccer leagues. <laughs> I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to get at, I guess, you know, because like the, I think the, the USFL Twitter account has 114,000 people on it. Excuse me. And I think um, each team averages around 15,000 followers and stuff. I don't yeah. know. But I, I think like you're saying, it's like, I, I don't know. I just think there's there's better things that the, they could do with money and, you know, yeah. teams and film coverage and stuff. And because I think every time they try and put some kind of small version or, you know, the XFL, or whatever, it, it never ever takes off. No, it's taken off twice, and the first time they merged because just like with the NBA and the ABA, the competition was getting too stiff. And with the USFL, you know, our our good pal Donald Trump decided he wanted to go head to head, and that's just <laughs> that to me could be the dumbest decision he's made, and that's saying something for. Our former president, you, you can you can have a league, but don't try to go head to head with the NFL. And then, biggest you know, in the best, baby, the biggest in the best. Got to be the biggest in the best. Yeah. Well, he had a good thing going. <laughs> they had a, Believe that, me when I tell you, it was the best football league ever. Yeah. Well, all right. whatever. Anyway, good. enjoy the draft tomorrow night, my friend. And to all you Thank NFL you. fans out there, have a great time. And where is it this year? It's still in Las Vegas. Okay. <laughs> I tried to get him, folks. He would fall for it. <laughs> Still in Vegas. All Cleveland right. last year, Kansas City next year. All right, maybe where the Oakland A's are going to play soon, too. Oh, hey, well, they, they came from Kansas City. Why not go back? Although I think they have a, a little team we like to call the Royals. I think all their, their fans are actually in Vegas right now. I don't think they're ready for a second. Oh, you mean they'll be playing in Vegas, not Kansas City? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, all all three thousand fans showing up to their games might have something to say about that. We'll see. All right, pal. Yep. We ready? Lost, we ready? If, if that happens, they'll have lost all their professional teams in the Bay Area. Well, I mean, in Oakland. You know, obviously, San Francisco still is theirs, but Oakland will have lost the Golden State Warriors, the A's, the Raiders, 
Anybody so, left? No. They still got that roller derby team? Maybe. Who knows? That, that, that's another. That's uh, the, the, You let the cat out of the bag for our big upcoming uh, roller derby show. <laughs> our roller derby preview show later in the summer. I tell you, it's more exciting than the USFL. I'll tell you that much. What a disaster. <laughs> All right, buddy, let's go to the rinks. The hardwood. Talk some hardball. Because that's where the good stuff is right now. I don't know. See, I don't want to say that about the NBA because I'm not really following the NBA. But the uh, regular season's coming to a close here in the NHL. And the playoffs are going to start here real soon after this weekend coming up. And baseball is underway, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about it right now here on the Honchos. Woo-hoo-hoo. I don't know where you want to start, Mr. Kiernan. But I'm just the guy that presses the buttons here. You are the, you are the guy who leads the show. You take us no, in the direction that we need to go. So, are we starting on the ice? Are we starting on the hardwood? Or do you want to go on a diamond where my Yankees are beating your Orioles again? Uh, who cares? Um, <laughs> we have to start on the ice. Before we get to you, you know, with your 30-second review of what's happened in the NHL, as you know... The honchos always seem to kill off. Oh, it's not our fault. Famous. It's not our fault. No, it's only major leaguers, not not other well, sports. No, no, but but since we were last on the air, we lost two titans in the hockey world: uh, Guy Lafleur and Mike Bossy. And Jean Pavin. Well, yeah, okay. I was I was trying to keep it to two, but I, you know they just keep dropping like flies. Um, I guess I'll start with Mike Bossy. Now, as a, as a Capitals fan, who whose life was ruined many times growing up by the very same New York Islanders. Uh, of all the players, lots of people would dislike. Dennis Potvin, Billy Smith, Brian Trottier, even Al Arbor, their coach. But, you know, hard not to like Mike Bossy, whose career was very short, 10 years. I mean, you know, injuries, was I guess it was his knees that finally gave out on him. But, you know, 10 years he played. Um Four Stanley Cups, a, a huge part of that New York Islander dynasty. Um, Ten years, 752 games played, 573 goals, and 553 assists, plus 380, by the way. That was his plus-minus rating. Um, the only guy to score two consecutive Stanley Cup winning goals, both in A2 and A3, and until Alex Ovechkin did this year, and I found this hard to believe, given – the, prol- the prolific goal scorers that have played in the NHL, the only person to have nine 50-goal seasons and three consecutive 60-goal seasons. Oh, you really did your homework. Yeah, well, I, I, I like Mike Bossy. Plus, you know, I read a lot about him after he passed. Um, so young. And then he was first ballot right into the Hall of Fame uh, four years later after he retired, which with and with good reason. But it's I, I liked him because, again, of all the guys that played – for those teams that broke my heart and even the post dynasty teams with Pat LaFontaine. Um, I, it's hard not to like Mike bossy, nice player, good player, very skilled, not a bag, not an a-hole. Um, so, you know, he'll be missed. And especially, I mean, obviously it certainly impact felt more on when your neck of the woods than down here. Um, but, and then Guy Lafleur. A huge part of that 70s. Speaking of dynasties, we went from the 70s Canadians dynasty to the 80s Islander dynasty. 
It's like two teams won, you know, 10 Stanley Cups, 10 in a row or whatever it was. Um, he was a big part of that. Good old Guy LaFleur, 70. You know, he was 70. Mike Bossy was 65. Once again, you and I are reminded that the, the, the stars of our youth that we grew up watching, as we get older, they're not supposed to get older. Only we're supposed to get older. They're yes. supposed to stay the same age that we remember watching them. You're not supposed to see Guy LaFleur drop dead at 70 or Mike Bossy at 65. So, anyway, um, two legends. Now, I didn't watch – Guy LaFleur was a little bit before my hockey watching time. I did watch Mike Bossy a lot, but didn't see a lot of, you know, the guy, the flower. Obviously, it doesn't diminish his greatness any, but, you know. Um, no. What can I tell you? Two great so, guys, two great players, two great legends, obviously part of two great teams. Uh, over their playing careers, and basically two guys that were very likable, uh, especially off the ice as well, too. Yep. I mean, uh, I was watching some of the uh, the, the highlight tributes uh, Montreal did at their game the other night, too, and uh, the one thing I will say is the goaltending back then was not very good. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a different game. Yeah, that, is not, that is not to knock the incredible talent of Guy Lafleur. But man, there's some really poor goaltending back then in the seventies. I'll tell you that just just from the position, the way guys used to stand. I mean, it's there's totally definitely some slap shot highlights. You know the movie, and yeah. these guys are just if you just look at some of the old highlights, they're probably some of the worst conditioned athletes. <laughs> they all used to drink back then, man. They were all banged up, and if you watch some of the goals and where they're scored from. And there's, like, back then, there was no, you know, the, before the days of, like, the, the late 70s when you had guys like, you know, Kenny Dryden and even John Davidson and uh, so many great, uh, you know, goaltenders that started that that went into the 80s where, you know, the Patrick was and, you know, uh, and then it goes from there. And just in terms of learning about butterfly style, Russian goaltenders, you know, Hasek coming in, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it really kind of took off in the 80s and then the equipment and, and everything else. I mean, you look they used back to wear some... what it was basically a paper plate on their face as a goalie mask. Yeah, and then yeah, and then back in even in the old days, they didn't wear anything. You know, I mean, it was probably probably like a catcher in little league. You know, you got to run up and down your lineup and go, "Hey, who wants to play catcher?" They must so have I'm, did that I'm years sure ago they're... too in hockey. Hey, who wants to play goal tonight? I'm sure they were working hard, but you know, with, with very little equipment, you're probably not giving yourself up as much as goalies do today with all the padding and the and the masks that they wear. So it's, it's an it's an absolute art form today and there's just technical aspects of it in terms of how they wear their pads how they line up the conditioning that the goalies are in these days and stuff i mean like i said we grew up like i said in the 80s and and even the 90s seeing guys like you know uh marty brodeur and you know the style of play and Hasek, the way he used to cover then and everything else and, and the eagle don't forget my good pal eddie belfort oh, yeah i mean this, this, look, there's, yeah there's tons so of guys much. we're forgetting here Uh, But just to flash back to Guy, I just, you know, I'm sitting there going, looking at the old highlights. They did a great tribute for him. Uh, It's fantastic. They were were great teams. Scotty Bowman, I mean, you look at those great 70 teams. I remember them, the Canadians, too, because in 79, you know, the the Rangers had beat the Islanders in 79. The Islanders went to five straight cups, right? They win four, Bossy's Islanders, obviously, and they, they lose the fifth to Edmonton. But in '79, run. <laughs> yeah, in '79, uh, the Rangers weren't supposed to beat them, so the Islanders almost technically almost had six chances at the cup, you know. 
And that team in 79 was phenomenal. The Rangers just, you know, got lucky. And J.D. played on top of his head. And, you know, uh, the Islanders were coming into their own. And there's that great scene at the end of the Rangers-Islanders game when the Rangers beat them. And you see Dennis Potvin slumped over. And, you know, that was obviously the the famous thing you always bring up here. Potvin Potvin sucks. In that series, Potvin took out um, uh, Ulf Nielsen. And and that they say when the Rangers then ended up playing the Canadians in the '79 Finals, they think a, a big reason the Rangers. I don't think even if Nilsson was in the lineup, they probably wouldn't have beat them anyway, um, because that 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 Canadian team was unbelievable. And if you, I remember very well, the Rangers won the first game, uh, I believe four to one. Davidson stood on his head. Uh, and then they were in Montreal, and the story goes, and even Esposito, they talk about this. They all went out drinking. They all got shit face, and in game two, and actually Montreal came back, and back then it was uh, two three two, something like that. And the first two games, I believe, were in Montreal, and then the second three with the guard. Anyway, the Canadians swept them after that. It was all over. Boom, boom, boom. It was done. But Steve Shutt, Larry Robinson, uh, Bob Gainey, Ken Dryden. I mean, you, you they were monsters. You know what I'm saying? And Guy Lafleur obviously was a big part of that, um, and that team, and he was uh, amazing. And and the the little nice thing for us Ranger fans is Geek came and played for us for a couple of years. And that was a trip. And it was, um, you know, at that, back then, Esp- when the Rangers and Esposito, they were hiring. Remember Marcel Dion came to the Rangers. We were getting all these relics going right. on their list. You can, even up to Wayne Gretzky, right? Way past their prime. And they would finish up in New York, you know? Um but yeah, Guy was great, and and uh, being from Long Island, uh, growing up with the Islanders, you know, you talk about the Islander teams, you know, breaking your heart with the Capitals. I mean, my God, what we went through as Ranger fans here, all the years of just watching the Islanders, just you know. So I mean, from eight, you know seventy nine, I'm nine years old, and then you know ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four, up till thirteen, fourteen years old until they finally get knocked by out by Edmonton in, in eighty five, and that's that's like five, six years of straight heartbreak being a Ranger fan, and we lost big series to those guys. And back then, obviously, as a kid, you know, you, you hated them and stuff. As I got older and, and living out here on Long Island, always respected uh, the Dynasty teams, and I was lucky enough. Yep. A few years ago, I used to work with Butchie Gorin. We used to, when I just started getting into the podcast business and everything else, and used to have the Butch Gorin show. I actually, on my phone, I have uh, the numbers to about 15 of the guys on that Dynasty team. Wow. including Bossy is one of them, because I, I was the producer of the show, and I used to set up the interviews. So right. I would actually call, speak to Bossy, Trotz, Tonelli, Smith, Al Arbor, saying, all right, yeah, we're going to connect you right now and stuff, and hey, thanks for being on the show and stuff. And then I would sit there and listen to these guys, and I've actually been able to, did a show one night with uh, Nystrom and, and Gillies, and then we, obviously Clark passed away a few years ago too. What I'm trying to get at is uh, I have so much respect for those guys. Um and, you know, Butchie's been a great guy, and, and uh, just knowing him over the years. And Bossy was one. I was lucky enough. I met Bossy a couple times over the years. Nothing, something like I didn't sit down and, you know, have a half hour with him here. But I dealt with him on the business side of things, too, when I was starting my podcast business years ago. And in the really, Bossy was one of the main guys who stuck here on the island when everybody left. And in the worst times that the Islanders went through, Bossy was one of the main guys. He was the PR guy. Him and and, uh, and Nystrom, and Montreal, Butchie lives out here in the island. He's all he has, and he's been working with the Islanders for years and obviously coaching there for a little while. But Bossy was great, and um, 
he was a good guy, and he was a big part of it. Always have respect. I was lucky enough to be at that game at the Coliseum that everybody talks about, 50 goals and 50 games. I was there in 81. I was 11 years old. Because I used to go to a lot of Islander games when I was a kid because the Coliseum was right down the block from us here. And um, we used to go see a lot of games. So um, it's, 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 it's sad to see him go. You just can't. Like, I'm a diehard Ranger fan, right? I have probably more respect for the Islanders dynasty team than probably most of the, a lot of the young Islander fans out here now. They, they don't know. They don't get it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people in the uh, uh, other hockey fans don't get it. What they did out here on Long Island competing with the New York Rangers and the big city team and everything and what they've done here. We always have the fight out here in the fans, you know. Well, we've got four cups. You've got four cups. Yeah, we did four in a row. Yeah, well, you know, all this and that, so on and so forth. But we won in 94, so you guys have won since 83. And that's what's great about the rivalry here and all that other stuff. But um, sad to see them both as, go, man. As much as I as I hated the Islanders, I said growing up, it, it as I got older and started to appreciate sports in more of a macro view, it was always odd to me. Uh, odd is not the right word. It was just a little sad to me that, and your brother can probably attest to this, that a, a team that was so dynastic – like the New York Islanders, fell in such hard times. I mean, it's that that drought without the playoffs, and they went through so many losing seasons, and they were known more for their terrible uniform choices than they were for their on-ice presence. Um, and now they've kind of righted the ship a bit, thanks to trots, 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 by the way. Uh, it's just nice to see them just, again, in the global, you know, 20,000 feet up in the air view of, of hockey to see them back and being a competitive uh, franchise. It's just you don't want to see these Tiffany franchises. I guess the Islanders probably aren't a Tiffany franchise, but you don't want to see a franchise that had such great success, you know, at the bottom. They should be a team that's always right there because they have such history to go on. Well, their original owner, Bill Torrey, like I said years ago, he saw the writing on the wall. He took them through, you brought it up, the LaFontaine years and everything else. And then he headed down to Florida. He got out of Dodge. And then he, he, he actually was part of building the Florida Panthers. And um, But when Torrey left here, that's when the, the ship started to sink. Yeah. And because, you you know, the ownership issues out here on the island and then the um, uh, everything from when, you know, and I love Don Maloney, but when Don Maloney became the GM here, it started there. And that he was, they were part of the creating the fish sticks. And uh, I always felt that I said, I don't believe this. This is an inside job by the Rangers. They sent Don Maloney in here to make a mockery of this franchise. <laughs> there, the thing, and then and then Milbury comes in, and then it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. And prior, I like I was only working with the Islanders about 10, 11 years ago, and I was at the Coliseum, and nobody, nobody was there. And this is before. Um, Right, right up to the point where before they uh, drafted John Tavares, I mean, and Charles Wang, um, he 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 tried his best, but it was bad. They had they didn't they there was no money put into. It. I mean, God's notion and I've been GM. I mean, the I'll tell you this: the transformation to where they are right now because Ledecky and the new ownership is it's fantastic to see. Okay, and he brings in Lou Lamarillo and he brings in Barry Trotz. And they have this absolutely gorgeous new building. So those days are hopefully in the past. If you go to the UBS arena, they have a whole section now that's for the whole dynasty team. And it's like a it's like the Hall of Fame wall at Yankee Stadium. It's yeah. beautiful with the plaques and stuff. And in they fact, should. They should yeah, have that. In fact, I was there last week and uh, on the night, uh, it was Mike Bossy night. After he had passed, I was there and they did a whole great thing. Uh, beginning of the show and stuff, uh, beginning of the game, pregame ceremony. It was fantastic. 
And like I said, I'm a kid from Long Island, Thyroid Ranger fan, but I grew up with the Islanders. I grew up with the great rivalry all these years, all these different teams, all the ups and downs. And what I'm getting at with you saying, like I said, this dynastic franchise was just to see it go. I remember having lunch with Butch Gorin when he reached out to me and we was, you know, he called me and I was like, what are you doing calling me to do a radio show with? Because I said, don't you work with the Islanders? Because they didn't do anything for these guys. There was no, there was nothing. And now it's now it's all right. They have a uh, a great arena, um, and uh, even the other night they you know it was nice because they put up uh, like you know fans are dropping flowers in front of even when Clark passed away and all that other stuff. So it the franchise is finally in good hands, and I always felt that a good Islanders team makes a better Ranger team. It makes a better Devils here, and I think in the tri-state area for hockey and everything else. It makes uh, a good. better Capitals team. There's old rivalries when they get reignited and both teams are good and competitive. It's just better. It's better for everybody. Yeah, it's better no, to beat no them. Doubt. We, yeah. we laid a nice stinker against them last night uh, against the Islanders. But, you know, again, it's better to lose to an Islanders team that's competitive than an Islanders team that's... Uh, they're really not competitive right now. Ovi didn't play last night. So, and then they were in the playoffs. So this is, uh, our, we're... we're <laughs> I just hope he's just resting up for the playoffs and that we can get this. Our, you know, my biggest fear is coming true. The goaltending we have, we're just relying on oh, Vanacek. Stop worrying. Oh, my goodness. But just to finish up here on Guy and, and Bossy, and like I said, we grew up with these guys. I think everything you said is, is right on the money. Uh, his stats speak for it. You know, um, you know, Mike, uh, he liked to smoke. I mean, a lot of the guys uh, coming out of that generation, they used to do that, man. They used to they used to play games, and then they used to party. There was no – there's no regimen like the kids today. No. You know, or like the last 15 years, maybe even 20 years. I mean, that those days are gone. But back in those days, and the Islanders were the last dynasty, I don't even care, like, whatever happened in the end, the, you know, when, even when Edmonton kind of took over and stuff, a little bit towards the end, is the 80s there, and then the 90s started. But – um. You know, I all had partied and stuff. But back then in the 70s and the early 80s, that was it. You played a game, you went right to the bars. I mean, I know they did that in the 90s and in, in early 2000s stuff, but it's just a different thing. But, hey, they were great players. They were part of great um, franchises, great stories. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, he, Bossy's definitely gone too young. It's, it's a shame. And same thing with Gay. And I'm with you, though, on the fact, like I said, we're getting older and we're starting to see these players that we grew up with and get to see them in their heyday and – um, I mean, a lot of the guys that we grew up with in the 80s and 90s, you know, bless they all stay around for a long, long time. But right. it is weird, you know, me and you in our 50s now, early 50s, and all these guys that we grew up with, man, they're they're becoming old men, and we're losing a few of them. Yeah. Great players, though. Yes. Wow. It was a, we spent a long time on that. But that was good. We, You know, we needed to. Well, no, the other stuff is They owned it. Important. They owned it. There, Mr. They did own it, as you would say up in the island. They owned it. Yeah. So as far as the current NHL and what's going on here, um, you saw the stat the other day. Uh, obviously, the eight teams in the East have uh, they've been locked in for the playoff spots for a long time. It, it got all official last week here, too. But pretty uh, wild stat there. The first time, I think, in NHL history that all eight teams – in the Eastern Conferences, Eastern Conference had 100-point seasons. These, and there's these... there's uh, still a chance. The Caps have a couple games left. They can, they're can they either going to be the second wild card. They're not going to catch Boston, or they can still finish third uh, in the Metro. So they still have something to play for going in. But, yeah, that's um, a lot but, of good teams. I mean, the Islanders are the, the last top team to be anywhere close to, you know, the last playoff spot. And that's they're basically 20 points behind. I mean, yeah. so these Eastern Conference playoffs 
And like I joke with you, stop worrying. I mean, you have eight of eight phenomenal teams going into these playoffs here, and that's just the East. I mean, you you flip over to the West. There's one playoff spot here left, um, and that's between Dallas here and Vegas. And I think that might be. I think if Dallas wins another game, it's uh, Vegas only has two games left, uh, and so does Dallas. And then Vancouver here. Yeah, this is pretty much over. So I think if Dallas just wins their next game, it's pretty much a sealed deal. Uh, but don't quote me on that. But um, Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis, St. Louis is playing great. Um, you know, Calgary, Edmonton's in. The Kings are in. Like I said, uh, the Preds are in too. I mean, the, the Preds are a quiet story there. But I mean, you know, ever since Trotz leaving and uh, Laviolette leaving and stuff, I mean, the job that they're doing there in Nashville, they're back in the playoffs. So. And we all we talked about it here on the show a couple weeks ago. First round of the NHL playoffs is going to be a blast. You got you're going to have you know 16 phenomenal teams in here. Uh, on the western side, you're looking at the favorites that you know Colorado's got the most pressure on them. Um, Dallas has done a great job with the Calgary Flames. They're a great team, and it's all about staying healthy here. Uh, McDavid and Edmonton they've got so much to prove. We'll see what happens. But man. I mean, Rangers, Carolina, Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay has been unbelievable the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, Florida, looking like they're going to win the President's Trophy here. I mean, just Toronto, uh, Matthews, 60 goals. Uh, you know, Sid is still in this game. Ovechkin's still in the playoffs. Boston's back with those guys, too. I mean, this is going to be a phenomenal playoffs. First, phenomenal first, first round. round anyway. The first round always is. doesn't matter what the seeds are. It's just... Uh... Just scrub away the numbers next to the names. Just watch because it's going to be, you know, it's going to come down to the hot goaltender, you know, and random and just puck luck. The bounce of the puck, it's, it's, at least in the, again, at least in the first round, then it starts to kind of level out in the next round. But the first and round, all, always and everybody get ready for the whistles to go in the pockets <laughs> in yeah. the overtimes and the third periods. Yep. <laughs> That's good. If, unless I don't want to hear anybody complaining about calls because it's going to be the same thing. Yep. We'll see what happens. All right. So this is your NHL, and we'll uh, we'll follow the playoffs as they get started here. Uh, been a pretty uh, entertaining regular season. Again, the league coming back, like all the other leagues after COVID. Uh, you know, even Canada's pretty much back together here too, as far as uh, fans back in the seats. And it looks like it's back to normal. But uh, a big, a great fun. Uh, you know, maybe Rob will will talk about it next. week. As far as you know, who ends up with, uh, you know, top point scorers and goal getters and all that other stuff. But uh, that's all on deck here. Uh, it's Christmas time for hockey fans at the playoffs starting. Uh, the NBA. We, we, we briefly talked about this a couple weeks ago. I needed you to help me explain uh, what's going on at the playoffs. Now, I'm not used that the NBA playoffs are actually going on right now. Yes, and we're we're coming to the end of the first round. Which really some... never happens. It's usually the NHL starts first, NBA right. ha- happens afterwards. It, and it'll probably be like that again. This is we're still coming out of the altered schedules because of COVID. I guess the the, the only real news, you know, I think the most important thing to talk about is the, the the team that came within a big toe of going to the NBA Finals, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, who last year went hey toe to toe with Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and uh, a shot to send a game into overtime by Kevin Durant. Uh, if it, you know, this much, uh, like a half a toe length more, and it would have been a three pointer for the win. And since then, since that that playoff law, eventual loss, uh, the Nets have won precisely zero more playoff games. They were swept out to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, 
swept out of the playoffs. Um, Forget and, about it, baby. See you. See you next year. Yes. See you next year. Have a nice life. Um, I, you know, it's it's where to begin. But I guess where I want to begin is here. Um, as the Celtics said, you know, bye-bye to the Brooklyn Nets. A couple things. And I want to ask you this. Okay, well, let me get to Kevin Durant first. Kevin Durant is a great player. There's no doubt about it. I plays, plays hurt, whatever. But my knock on him for years, and I'm glad to see it's gaining some traction, is as great as he is, he's not cut out for um, pressure. When he has to lead a team, when he's the alpha dog on a team, um, he still performs, but he doesn't get his, he can't carry his team. He won't, he'll never, when people say, well, he's the best player in the NBA, he'll never be the best player in the NBA. He might be the best teammate, but he's not going to be the best player. I mean, that, that honor still belongs until someone knocks his crown off. There's only one player out there right now that can take a bunch of, you know, gym rats, a bunch of, you know, YMCA has-beens and take him to the NBA finals. And that's LeBron James, you know, and I realize his time is coming to an end quickly, especially out there in Los Angeles. But, when Durant has to carry the load, carry the water himself, when he's the alpha dog, he, he doesn't perform. Or he does perform, but he can't carry the rest of the team. And there was a lot of talk about how the Celtics were, you know, fouling him and, and just beating him up out there. But that's what happens in the playoffs. <laughs> that's you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. That happens in every sport. You're the best player. You're gonna you're the one that has the target on your back. And he wasn't making – these are people making excuses for him. He doesn't make excuses. But when he went to Golden State and he was playing with two, maybe three Hall of Famers, uh, sure, he was the MVP. He, he won two championships, and I believe he won two MVPs. Um, he won at least one MVP, I mean, not championship. But he was playing with Steph Curry and um, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. That's uh, two, again, maybe three Hall of Famers. A lineup with three to four Hall of Famers and there's no pressure on you, you're going to thrive. When there's pressure on them, Nothing. It happened in Oklahoma City. It happened in Golden State. Eventually, when the team started to break down, now it's happened in Brooklyn. But the real issue here is who is the worst teammate? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the great security in Minnesota. No. (laughs) Hey, fake kids, don't glue yourself to the court. If you're going to protest something, don't glue yourself to the floor. Ouch. Um, Kyrie Irving who, because he wouldn't get vaccinated, and this is not an anti-vax rant, it's just he didn't he, he didn't get vaccinated, so he couldn't play half of the games. He let his team down. When he does play, he's great, but you you got to play all the games. You can't just play half of them. Or a guy they traded for in one of the great heists in NBA history, Ben Simmons, who we have to be very careful here not to question the veracity of mental illness, but... Here's what we do know. This is a cold, hard fact. He did not play one second for Philly, either in the preseason or in the regular season, and Brooklyn after he got traded. He's, he wanted to trade early on. He sat out for physical and mental reasons, got traded to Brooklyn. Everyone thought it would be a fresh start. He would get back on the court, reignite his career, and he was supposed to be ready for game four when they – desperately could have used him maybe it doesn't change things maybe it does maybe they take one game instead of being swept and right before the game he's out with back soreness 
back soreness. Everybody's sore this time of year. Again, it's the playoffs. You got to, you know, gut it out. But we forget that in the midst of all of this, he filed a grievance against Philadelphia to get the salary that was being withheld. Didn't play a second for Brooklyn or for Philadelphia. Not a second. Doesn't even, there's a great picture out there on social media of the team on the bench wearing their black and white warmups and there's Ben Simmons wearing, you know, brightly colored street clothes. Doesn't even bother to get in the uniform. So who's the worst teammate? The guy that you can't depend on to play 80 games, won't get vaccinated and puts himself above his team? Or the guy who won't play for questionable reasons and then asks the team, files a grievance against the team for legitimately withholding his salary? It's a world you know, I don't I don't live in and I don't want to live in. And you know, you know. if you're if you're Brooklyn fans, you're like, what what's going on here? We had a great thing going. We thought we had we had the next dynasty with Harden and Irving and Durant, and then it's all falling apart. And when Kevin Durant is the guy who whose character looks the best, <laughs> considering you know his um, how thin skinned he can be and how sensitive he can be to any sort of criticism, you know, it's no wonder James Harden wanted to get out of there. And at least James Harden is playing in Philadelphia. I think they're, they're playing tonight or tomorrow facing uh, possible elimination. Could be both teams that traded for their stars or out. Philly's up 3-2, brother. Yeah, well, but they haven't won yet. I'm just saying it could possibly be that the two teams that swapped could both be out in the first round. Philadelphia is going to have a hard time without Embiid. He's, in a, he's hurting. He's not at 100%. And Harden's been... A shell of his former self, but it's just, well, um, I just older, if, I you're, mean, if you're a Brooklyn fan, you're like, what, what, what did we do to deserve both of these guys now being on the same team? And how long before Kevin Durant says, all right, see ya going to my next stop. Cause this team's going nowhere. If it's not a vaccine today, it'll be something else tomorrow for Kyrie Irving. You know, he'll pull something where he lets he puts himself over what's the um what's the salary cap well how does that work in the nba as far as money um they have a soft cap so you you have a you know a a salary cap and then there's a luxury tax so if you go over the salary cap it's sort of like in baseball you can you you pay a a penalty for going over the cap and then they have all these various uh exceptions to the salary cap um, they have a, a salary cap for players you trade for. They have a salary cap for veterans you sign. If you sign your own free agents, they have what's called the bird rights named after Larry Bird, where you can sign for whatever you want, not worry about the cap. It's, it's also oh so complicated, but the, they have a soft cap. The, the NFL on the other hand is the hard cap, which is you can't, there is no tax. Once you hit that ceiling, you're done, but they also have a floor that you can't spend less than. And I believe, um, I don't know if the other sports have the same floor. I don't know if baseball does. So let me but ask they're... you a question here. I mean, because, you know, I'm not. See, you know, we're bringing up some of the, the rotten stuff or the, the the not too good stuff here about the NBA. Because, I, you know, you look at a season like what Phoenix is having and, and even Miami and, you know. Oh, there's here. some great stuff going on in the NBA. It's just, you know, it's not. Yeah, because much... I, I want to ask you, you know. <laughs> We're talking about these guys, and we've primarily been talking about these guys and maybe you know, LeBron here uh, pretty much through the course of the season, maybe the last couple, last year or so, as far as the NBA is concerned. And I just don't know if that's fair compared to how the rest of the league and how the rest of the players on other organizations uh, either carry themselves, how they perform up against their contracts, 
and everything else. Because when when we talk about these guys on a regular basis, you kind of get the feeling is is well these guys. Why do these guys get so much money and cause so much drama and cause so much angst with within mm-hmm. these organizations here? Um, is it any different from from other generations in the NBA, or does it seem to be where the NBA is right now? Take away the playoff situation and all the changes, and even pull the COVID side away. It seems that these same kind of you know, like a guy like Stephen Curry, he's been just he's this straight line, yeah. You know, and I, I you know, as far as one of the great NBA players. LeBron James, his consistency as a winner, he obviously moved from city to city here, and he's, you know, and more power to him to to go around, and, and everybody takes a different path here. But I'm 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 we're, we're I'm hearing like the same kind of these guys, you know, and the trouble they've been caused. Should should we even waste our time talking about these guys? Um, well, are we doing the right thing? Because I think there's probably there's so many other there's got to be a lot of other great stories going on in the NBA. Okay, so there's a lot of lot to unpack there, but yes, we are talking about a tiny fraction of the players. There's a lot of good players out there, a lot of young stars like your John Morant, for instance, just having just a, a phenomenal season um, out there in Memphis. And yes, the continuing. Uh, good play and good citizenship uh, of guys like Steph Curry and what, you know, the, the MVP race between two big men in uh, Joel Embiid and, and Nikola Jokic and, you know, uh, Milwaukee with Giannis. Um, there's lots of great stories out there. It's just in a, in a, in a format like this where you pick and choose the things that are most interesting. Unfortunately, you know, the negative tends to be much more interesting than talking about how great. Is it interesting? Because I'm, I'm not but, really interested in this. And I'm not knocking you bring it up. I'm not. I think the discussion is, is fair. I think mm-hmm. it's good. And I'm also you know, like, you know, I'm listening to you and you're talking. You just mentioned like six guys there, um, you know, just names and some good stories that are going on there. And I guess for me, an average Joe kind of guy, if I'm not tuning into the league, and I, I'm familiar with Duran, I'm familiar with Simmons, and, you know, obviously being a New York area and a whole, you know, shit show here in Brooklyn and everything else and, and seeing the nonsense that went on in, in, in uh, Boston during the season, uh, the series with Kiara, you know. Um, I guess that's what I want to hear, the, the guys that you just talked about. Like, cause to me, that's what I want to hear because the, the other part of it and again, I'm not this. I'm not knocking us talking about it, bringing the topic tonight. What I'm saying is, is I think for the average Joe kind of fan, hey, what's going on in the NBA? What's happening? Who's good? Who are the new stars? You know, and 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 what's happening on? I think that's where that's what I want to hear. You know, right? And that's fair. I mean, and, you know, we, there's also the rebirth of the Chicago Bulls with Demar Derozan. I mean, there's lots to talk about. Just again you sort of have to pick and choose. We're not an NBA show, just like we're not a hockey show or a baseball show. Um, But I think the other side of that coin is we're entering an era in the NBA where the players are wielding so much power to just move around wherever they want. Not all the players, but the players now we've seen that if player A wants out of team B. So to me, these sound like bitchy, moany guys. Right, but in that because those, that, that story dominates. Haven't won anything. Right, they those stories tend to dominate the news, and it is unfortunate because the stories like the Simmons stories and the Irvings and what's happening in Brooklyn, um, dominate and what's happening in Los Angeles with you know failed expectations 
does overshadow some of the really good stories. And we're in that era now where these stories are starting to dominate what they haven't done ever, at least not, you know, this generation, the generation before it was always the play on the court and, and nobody really cared much for the drama off the court, but we haven't seen drama like this ever. This again, this newfound revolution where players are like, I don't want to play here. Get me out of here. And the owners are just sort of acquiescing. Gone are the days when an owner would put his foot down and say, you don't want to play. Why should I trade you? Why should I give up an asset? Because if you're not playing for me, you're also not playing for somebody else who then can come in and beat us. So you can just park yourself right there on the bench uh, and get over yourself. And that so. seems to also be something that I see, too, that maybe is, is more prominent in the NBA, where these big stars are either sitting on the bench or they're sitting out. or It's a total NBA thing. You, you know, don't see that I much mean, I, I also recollect back to one of your greatest dopes of the week is when you know Patrick Ewing came into the building and the security staff didn't even recognize him, you know, and remember that? Right. I mean, and... Yes. And, and to you me... Want, here's my ID. <laughs> Just look at the rafters. You see that number 33 from the rafters? That's my ID. <laughs> Come on, pal. What are we even doing here, man? So I want more good NBA stories, Mr. Cooney. Well, with the summertime coming... And the playoffs, you know, churning into high gear. We'll have more stories. We can debate who should be the MVP and the rookie of the year. And, um, you know, we'll get some more stuff in there. Right, You're right. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be so negative about the NBA. Well, specifically these, these kind of characters. I think this. Yeah. I mean, there's a place for it. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. And we had some fun, as we said we would, doing the up the Ingleside Lakers update. Yes. But, you know, as we get and move into a new NBA season – Later this year, right, we should put more of the spotlight on what the good about the NBA and not give the impression that the NBA is full of a bunch of malcontents <laughs> and uh, bad teammates because that's just not the case. Actually, I mean, in all seriousness, that's what almost killed the league before Magic and Bird came in, which is people just had this impression, fueled slightly by racism, that, you know, it was just a league full of malcontents and drug users and it was a niche sport and um, it was about to die on the vine. And then... The whole bird magic thing happened, and the NBA took off to where it is now. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, we don't want to give that impression again because it's not. It's um, it may not be the same game it was, but there's so many good players, and it's very entertaining. And if basketball is your thing, there's lots to choose from on the menu, not just uh, you know two dopes in Brooklyn, gotcha. which was the original name of this podcast, two dopes in Brooklyn, <laughs> except we're not in Brooklyn. <laughs> All right, let's move into some uh, some quick hits uh, here on uh, MLB here. Some uh, big storylines, obviously, the last uh, couple of weeks here is uh, Major League Baseball is about uh, 15, 16 games into the season here, and, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've been watching a lot of baseball, a lot of Yankee baseball, and just bopping around. I got to tell you, I just uh, my love for baseball has just kind of come back here in the last two years, uh, and I got to tip my hat to the whole crew over at MLB Network. You know, I work from home here during the day. I have it on the back. They just do some great um, stuff as far as promoting the game, promoting the players, um, you know, the good and the bad and everything else in between. And uh, I just love uh, it being back. So let's just uh, do some quick hits here, Rob. Take it away. Where do you want to start? All right. Uh, quickly, congrats to Miguel Cabrera for reaching the 3,000 hit club. Could be uh, the last we see for quite a while. I think the next, not the closest, but the guy who's on pace uh, is Manny Machado. For the Padres, who's like half, halfway there and 
still relatively young, but guys, you know, the way players are babied into the major leagues and brought up, you know, later, we're going to be hard pressed to get someone else with 3000 hits anytime soon. Be a long time. Yes. Um, and just because I love, you know, stats, he's the seventh player now Cabrera to have 3000 hits, 500 home runs, um, joining some guys who, you know, is he's going to walk right into the hall of fame as a first ballot, but this is quite a list. A rod, Albert Pujols, Willie Mays, Rafael Palmero, Eddie Murray, and Hank Aaron. Uh, now we know that uh, A-Rod and Palmero will never see the Hall of Fame with the cloud of steroids over them, but certainly Miguel Cabrera, I don't think he's uh, he's kind of at the tail end of that steroid generation, so hopefully that doesn't taint him. And also he's the third member, an even more elite club, of the 3,500 and 300 batting average, career batting average club, and that's just two guys you may have heard of, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and now uh, Miguel Cabrera. So congrats to him. Um I know they, <laughs> the Marlins traded away in that trade um, that brought Cabrera to Detroit. Not just Miguel Cabrera, but Dontrell Willis, who turned out to be pretty, pretty good for a while. Go. So yeah. I'm not sure what the 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 Marlins got in return, but it's got to be a trade that they're not uh, talking about too much. Eh, it's some issues, some um, money issues, I'm sure. You know, um, they, they, got, they got a they got a championship out of it. They're all right. Yeah, they're fine. Again, yeah, they, they won. Hey, another the stat. Tigers, another, the Tigers almost won. Another very important stat here of Miggy's uh, 3,000 hit is the team he did not get it against. The Yankees. That's right. Didn't didn't Boone walk him, intentionally That's walk him when right. he was sitting on 2999? Right decision. Way to go, Booney. I just think, yeah, you know what? I love, we, we don't have time tonight to talk about it. We can't talk. We, I, we're we definitely going to push this one to next week, talking about the, quote, unwritten rules of baseball. The the, the amount of arguing that it causes. Yeah. Well, wait to hear what Gabe Kapler has to say. I got that recorded. But we got to get into, we got to get into this other thing, too, next week uh, about the, uh, you know, teams getting upset because if they're down by 10 and the other team trying to keep score. Well, no, wrong. that's, that's, we're, we're going to oh, get it. That's man. the whole can't Gabe wait Kapler thing. Um. Yeah, the Padres have the the uniform patch is here and it's here to stay. The Padres are the first team to do that. Uh, that to wait, me. Talk about, wait, what's the deal with the 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 pat? The other night, Sunday night. Uh, you know, the Dodgers seem to always be on. Um, but uh, I am loving some of the unis that the teams are wearing, like what the Brewers were wearing last night. The old yellow. I mean, great stuff. I love these. Uh, the, the new what I don't know what they're called, but like Kansas City's going to be wearing these gorgeous. It's like in, in the it's, NHL, they're called it's, like it's the City Edition something. Oh, they're fantastic, man! Love them. The Nats, the Nats with their cherry blossom jerseys. As much as I hate the Nats, I have to tell you, I kind of dig the yeah, it's nice the cherry blossom. Look, although I don't like the block lettering, but hey, whatever. Um, so what's what's deal with the patch? What's so the- baseball as part of the collective bargaining agreement said that you know this year or, or next year. Um, teams can start wearing uniform patches, you know, advertisers on their uniforms. Um, so uh, San Diego is the first. Next year they'll be wearing these big ass M's on the side of their on their uniform sleeve. M for Motorola. So um, it's coming. The NBA has it. Soccer has it. Um, I just. You know, on a uniform like the Padres uniform, okay, uh, fine. But you know, I don't know that they'll actually do this, but I don't know how well I'm going to deal with it. It's bad enough seeing, like, the Nike swoosh on all the uniforms. 
not subtle at all. Even, but they but paid a lot of money. Yes, but I'm saying it's going to be hard for me. I can accept I the, the patch on the Padres, yeah. but I don't want to see the Bombers, the Bronx Bombers with a uniform patch You're on. You're never going to see that in New York. It might happen in some of these National League teams, but it's not going to happen in New York. I mean, I don't know. The, the Major League Baseball is not forcing teams to do this, thank goodness, which is good. I'm glad it's voluntary, but I, that's something I wouldn't want to see. Again, not a Yankee fan am I, but I'm a fan of baseball, and I'm a fan of the tradition of baseball. And I, the, this, the, the pinstripes, not a, not, a, not a uniform I want to see with an add-on. Again, it's bad enough they have to have the swoosh on there, but... I don't want to see a big old Motorola patch. You're not. It's that's not going to happen. On the side of Aaron Judge's Look, uniform. You understand the, the Nike? I've got the Yankee game on in the background here. You understand the Nike swoosh because they they're the it's like in the NHL. Reebok had it for a while now. It's Adidas you can't, and stuff. You can't, like there's nothing yeah. you can do about yeah. it. Yeah, and, and I don't that. mind that. I mean, and it's it's kind of subtle too. So it's 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 not it's not like a giant like in the, in the Premier League. You know the 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 actual corporate sponsor takes over the meat of the. Um, landscape of the of the the sweaters and the jerseys that they wear you know what i'm saying you still got the as long as the team will, look we talked about this it's going to subtly start happening in the nhl and we're going to see it in the nba and i'm with you too man look we're two old guys grew up with uh we're traditionalists and everything else and um i just i i think like i said as long as this stays voluntarily every franchise financially if they can find a way to to bring in you know and then you take like and then hopefully, you know, we'll get into this too going forward with the A's and what's going on with them and whether they're going to move and stuff. Because you could see, like, the Oakland Athletics, there's nobody in the stands. What's to stop the owners from putting, like, 40 patches yeah. on a sweater just to kind of bring them in, in, you know, sponsors? And the thing is, is that, you know, it's funny because there's nobody in the stands to look at that anyway. But it's it's, it's a waste of your advertising, dog. I mean, we're going to see it, Rob. You know it. It's it's going to yeah. come in small. And uh, I just don't think some of the – I don't think the Red Sox, the Yankees, nope. some of the, the teams that have been in the league, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, I don't think they'll ever go to those kind of just, things. Just remember what my theory about – Teams and uniforms, and it's just a theory. But for the most part, the teams that have the most, the biggest collection of different uniforms, try all the niche, you know, kitschy kind of flashy. Here's a new uniform, a third year, an alternate there, a Sunday only. They tend to win the least. So oh, yeah. you look at teams like the Yankees. You've got the road gray. You got the pinstripe at home. The Red Sox, for the most part, they've got their whites and their grays. Cardinals, the bat with the birds, not much change. They went to the sky blue a while back. That was kind of nice, actually. The Sox but, do a little more though than the Yankees because a little, but but a little. The bit Yankees more. only have two unis, and that's it. Right, and you know what? Last time training. I checked, you know, twenty-eight championships later, you don't need any more uniforms. We, you've done pretty pretty well. With it is funny that because it, they, you know you still if you get traded to the Yankees, you got to shave. You know, you can't. It's it's funny because when you. It's amazing, like being a Yankee fan myself here, and you know the Mets. You know, with uh, they can have you seeing this. Like I have nothing against it. You know, guys with long hair. I mean, I used to have long hair myself. Um, I just, you know, I always remember, you know, playing as a kid, even with my hair. I always had my hair like tied up into either my hockey helmet or my baseball hat or whatever. I never let it hang down. I don't know how those guys do it. Even in the NFL, I don't know how those guys do it. I don't know how. Like the the guys with the dreads, how those things don't get caught in face masks, and guys aren't getting their necks ripped off. I don't know, you know how they do. It's not a it's not a penalty, by the way, to pull the hair in the NFL. You can't grab the, the, the neck. You can't pull someone down by the collar of the jersey. It's a horse collar tackle. You can't do that. But you, if you grab the hair, hey, 
But see, you know, you have a team like Sorry. Boston. They those guys, you know, they can they can have their hair long. They can have beards. They can all do all that stuff. Um, but the Yankees, you know, it's like the Devils here in, in New Jersey too. You got to come in the Islanders too. You got to be clean cut because that Lamorello started that in New Jersey, and now he carries it over here in uh, on Long Island. Uh, but uh, you know, when Felipe came in here in Donaldson, they they shaved. Anybody that comes in here, they got to shave. They got to clean cut. But that's. You know, that's just the Yankees. It's worked that way. They've been winning. And, yeah, in these non-traditional markets, but even some of these other franchises have been in a long time, you know, um, they, you let, win. they let players be who they want to be, and it sells things, it's personnel. And I also have nothing against that, but I'm with you. I I mean, I definitely, I know, like, I'm totally 1,000% confident it'll never happen in the Bronx. I, you know, knock on wood. I hope not. All right. All right, pitch clock. Some, no, no, no. It's dope of the week time. Come on, man. We, we'll deal with all this later. Oh, we're not going to go over short pants tonight? Oh, no, come on, man. We've been going on long enough. You got me for like five more minutes. Let's make the best of it. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff, we can talk about this next week. None of it's uh, going away. I want to talk about it now. We're not going to talk about Wimbledon and the Russian players? Nope. Oh, come on. Nope. Come on, man. If we go two hours and we're still yakking, haven't gotten the dope of the week, even I'm going to stop listening. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the dope of the week. Dope of the week. That's awesome, dude. You know, you would think that during these last two weeks of spring break that the Gags gang would have enjoyed some time at the beach or with their own families or some sort of vacation, but nine, never. They get no time off, no days off, none. So the Gags Gang and I still, despite being on vacation, spend countless hours each week in the basement of the Go Sports Media Complex to come up with each week's winner. And you can, Mr. and Mrs. Radio Listener, for absolutely no reward, save for our undying respect and gratitude, help pilot the show by nominating your own Dope of the Week, pleased to be using the hashtag DOTW on the new Elon Musk owned Twitter, if it still exists. Yeah, baby. Um, at Cuthbert Live, at Bitter and Rage, at Sports Honchos, at Go Sports Media Co. And who will be carrying the mythical Sports Honchos Dope of the Week Cup around the ice rink of shame this week? Speaking of baseball, that's right. Rob Manfred, the alleged commissioner of Major League Baseball. Hey, go, Rob! As you know, the start of the 2022 baseball season was delayed by a 99-day work stoppage, which was the result of the biggest sham of a lockout in the history of labor management relations. The lockout occurred at the dawn of the 2022 free agency period, thereby ensuring that no money would be spent on free agents. It extended through a dead zone in the baseball calendar and ended in the middle of spring training before MLB owners felt the sting of any real loss of attendance revenue. In short... All the owners accomplished with this lockout, quote-unquote, was saving money while the players had their free agency bonanza delayed, but not denied. Although Manfred and the, and the Major League Baseball owners sort of, kind of, canceled games and told stories of large chunks of the season being sacrificed in lieu of an agreement, the season merely started late and all 162 games were still on the schedule. Yup, there were no losers here, only winners. Woo! There was one loser, and then that the same loser that is always left holding up the wall at the school dance while everybody else is having a good time. That's right, the fans. Manfred works for the owners in the in Major League Baseball, and he is also the face 
of MLB. He is so good at his job that you cannot even see his strings being pulled or the hand of the owners up his back when he is speaking. One of Manfred's jobs is to make Major League Baseball popular amongst the fans, a destination location, if you will. This business of polishing that which is tarnished by a century of neglect requires a lot of public relations savvy. Now, I and many others expected Manfred to not just apologize to the fans for threatening their beloved game, but also to show some token of appreciation. A full-page ad thanking the fans in the local newspaper, perhaps, or a contest for a fan to throw out the first pitch, the opening day pitch to each ballpark, maybe tying a cinder block around his neck and jumping into the Hudson River. <laughs> anything. Anything. Instead, who did Manfred decide to suck up to? Whose apple did Manfred polish? The players. Yes, there is a long and tortured history of acrimony between the players and the owners, but the players are not going anywhere anytime soon. They get paid. So what exactly do they need to feel wanted besides more money? Now, so the fans are once again getting ye oldie shaft and once again overlooked. So what else is new? But that does not make the commish the DOTW. It is the gift he bestowed upon the players that puts him squarely in the DOTW crosshairs. Manfred and his minions had 99 days during the labor relations vacation. That does not have the same punch as lockout or work stoppage. Mm -hmm. To come up with a perfect gift to win back the affection of the players and to show his gratitude beyond the large paychecks. If it were me, if I were the commissioner, I would go into every locker room in the major leagues and press a $1,000 bill in each player's hand. But hey, that's just me. Manfred went in a slightly different direction. So what do you get the man who literally has everything? What is the perfect way to say thank you to 1,200 men, each making no less than $570,000 a year? If you guessed a pair of $200 headphones, you win. Yes, sir. Nothing says, sorry, you almost lost half a million dollars at least over a proposed draft lottery, expanded playoffs, service time, and increased competitive balance tax Better than a nice pair of Bose Beats Fit Pros. Retail value, $199.99. Nice. The note that came inside the box with the headphones, which were placed in each player's locker on opening day, read as follows. I'll read you at least a snippet of it. Please accept this gift as a small gesture of my appreciation for the hard work that comes with being a major leaguer and your respect for our incredible fans, Manfred wrote. Thank you for everything you do in a game that is such a rich history and deep meaning to our fans in the U.S., and around the world, wishing you the best of luck for a successful season. Uh, small gesture. Uh, the gesture has to stand on its tiptoes to see small. And how great was it that he mentions the fans twice in that letter, but fails to acknowledge them even once with at least a token gesture? I don't know, like cheap headphones. Uh, because we care so deeply for our listeners, headphones not included, we sent our crack reporters, the H-team, to Dodger Stadium so we could capture the feelings of Dodgers first baseman Freddie Freeman, an ambassador of baseball and all-around nice guy, as he opened his gift from the commissioner. And here was his reaction when we asked, so, how do you like that gift from Rob Manfred? And I want to look him straight in the eye, and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? 
It never gets old, folks. I do think it is appropriate that someone so tone deaf would give his players a device to tune out all of the noise. Oh, well. I just hope you remember to pack all the gift receipts. So, Robert Manfred, for giving new meaning to the phrase swing and a miss, for proving that if love means never having to say you're sorry, then you must really love your fans. And to quote the great Homer Simpson, as a commissioner for just sucking the biggest suck that ever sucked, you are the Sports Honcho's Dope of the Week. Congrats, Roberto. Your certificate is in the mail. Way to go, Commish! Keep up the good work! I want a Walkman! <laughs> yeah, why don't you just give help an outdated piece of equipment like a disc man? <laughs> oh, man. By the way, he money, spent... Money, money, two, money. He spent $250,000 on those headphones for every player in the major leagues, so... And the minimum salary is $570,000. So thanks. Here you go. Every fan should bring a sign to every game. Where are my headphones? Well, no, like this guy, I forget which name. And all it says, why are beers $14? <laughs> well, because we're giving away headphones. There That's you go. Why. Half a million dollar a year to travel yep. around the country in beautiful weather and nice stadiums. Imagine yep. being a middle reliever. Sometimes yep. you don't even pitch. Sorry, sorry, you almost lost your salaries, so here's some headphones. Thanks. Uh, I love the game. I love the game. Ah, man, if it's all right with me. They're and Frank playing. Freeman, wow, such a nice guy. He was so uh, so vocal in his dislike for the I've headphones. I've never heard him curse like that before. He was, whew. Hallelujah, think... where's the Tylenol? Holy shit, hallelujah, where's the Tylenol? Uh, you would think that the California sun would mellow him out a bit, but, you know. He's even angrier. Oh, he's such a nice bully, guy bully, in Atlanta. Now bully. he's so angry. He's got a championship in his back pocket and a gazillion yep. dollars in his and bank account. And he's playing in L.A., buddy. And he's got a yep. new pair of shiny headphones. Yep. Oh, man. Well, folks, we're back. It's been a lot of fun. We did it, Rob. Over we did. two hours. Even with all the glitches and stuff. It's great to see you again and hear your wonderful voice. Love the right, conversation as always. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Follow us everywhere at Sports Honchos. And we're going to try and do this again next week. We'll try and get back to some consistency right here at some Sports Honchos. Yes. Rob, please say goodnight to the folks. Hey, folks. You know by now the drill. Subscribe, follow, give us a nice rating out there in the social meteors. Help us out as much as you can. We don't have a show. Without you all, we it's only we're only us because of you. And we, although we don't have headphones to give you, we do appreciate uh, the listening, the reviewing, the rating, the kind words. Keep it up. We love it. We love you. We'll see you next week, hopefully. And remember, if you see Willie Mays or any of his family out there, please, big hug, big kiss, family. sloppy wet kiss in the cheek, give him a hug, high five, fist bump, whatever floats it. This weekend coming up, it's going to be cold again, but hey, stay warm. Stay safe, be nice to each other, and as always, peace. And throw in an, uh, an aging NHL veteran in there, too, for hugs and stuff like that. All right, folks, you're the best. Rob, you're the best. Love you, pal. Everybody have a great week, great weekend. Stay safe out there. Hot shows are out, baby! <laughs>